Your attention is precious. Pulled in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the benefit of Blue. Learn more at BenefitOfBlueSC.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. He spent 12 years as a U.S. Navy SEAL, eight years as a contractor with some undisclosed government agencies. You guys can fill in the fucking blanks on that one. 15 years as the owner and founder of Trident Concepts, which provides nationally recognized weapons and tactics training. Uh, and that, that is for government agencies, police departments, uh, etc., all over the country and, and even uh, internationally. Uh, he's on the training and education committee for the NRA. For the last two years, he's been the director of training at The Range in Austin, Texas. He's nicknamed Speedy, and no, it's not racist. His beard pattern makes the most interesting man in the world's beard look like fucking fruit mold. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff Gonzalez. Thank you, Mike. That is quite the intro. I think... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the things here. I mean, to me, the, the, the least I can do as, uh, as the host of Mike Drop here is, is give a, uh, an intro that's worth a shit. So. Well, I will tell you that that by far is the best intro. Well, hands down. Fucking A. I've, I've done my job. We can wrap it up right <laughs> let's now. Let's go. Let's yeah, go to the bar. <laughs> All right. Go have some barbecue and fuck it. Yeah. So uh, I, I appreciate you coming up here. Yeah, no. Uh, I my know, pleasure, man. I know it's an early morning to get up here. And uh, I, I always, you know, uh, am very, uh, feel very, very fortunate to have the guests that I, that I have come on and their willingness to come all the way uh, out to bumfuck East Texas to be on here. But uh, one of the things I wanted to share with with the audience, you know, the, the last episode that, uh, that we released was, um, was kind of my, my workout morning routine, health fitness philosophy on a lot of mistakes that I've made and just things I've kind of learned the hard way. So one of the things Jeff and I did uh, as he came up a little early and, and we did a workout together, uh, he's pretty big into fitness. I'm pretty big into fitness. So a lot of questions, follow on questions from the last episode was, you know, Hey, can you give us some examples of workouts and, you know, do you do pre-workout and post-workout and things like that? So we're going to go over, uh, you know, the, the workout that we did. And uh, I've got a pretty modest garage gym. There's not a lot of room in there for two people to do the same workout. So it presents a little bit of challenge in terms of some of the workouts that we wanted to do. But one of my favorites, uh, for those of you asking the, the types of workouts that I do, this is kind of a, a classic textbook example is it's a, a standard warm-up, which uh, we both did a pretty similar warm-up for us old guys, um, <laughs> getting, getting uh, our prostate swelling down and, and all the, the joint, joint lube going. 
but uh, just a thousand meter row. Um, I do around the worlds with uh, with a twenty pound kettlebell, twenty each direction uh, while I'm up on my tippy toes to just you know get uh, some blood flowing in the lower extremities, um, and then twenty five each arm, just single arm shoulder presses with with that. Um, then I do two sets of fifteen push ups and fifteen body weight squats some uh, hamstring and, and uh, hip stretching uh, on the floor, and then some um, rotator cuff uh, extensions, you know, a couple sets each side. Uh, what, you, what was your, uh, I know your warm-up was similar. Yeah, my, so we, I started with the 1,000-meter <clears throat> row. Good, good, good way to kind of get the blood flow in there. Uh, because our workout was an Olympic lift-centric workout, I did um, what's called a Bergner warm-up, and I, I improvised. I used your broom. To yeah. make that happen, uh, it's a great way to kind of um, get the CNS primed for that movement, particularly because it was going to be on the uh, not the heavy side, but an, an enough to where it really is. You know, you can't rely on just you can't muscle through it. You got to have technique. Yeah. So I like doing that because it primes my CNS for that. Then I did some follow-up stretching as well. Um, I, I started with a started working on the weights. I started on a lighter weight, added weight, gradually get into that workout weight just, just to kind of make sure that all the uh, joints are moving the way they should. And I, I love doing, and you'd mentioned this in the workout, you know, a full body kind of functional movement such as a, a clean and jerk is just a fantastic way to hit all those points that you want, like check the boxes on, yeah. on your workout. So, Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, to me he and I both, it's kind of funny. He was mentioning, uh, you know, he just turned 50 or is about to turn 50 and uh, you're welcome. And, uh, and uh, I, I just turned 40, uh, you know, but, but he and I have a very similar uh, mentality. And, and I think, you know, I don't care how, how old you are or really whether it's working out or not is that, you know, I've said it before on the, on the podcast. I mean, time, people say time is money. Uh, time is more valuable than money. You know, you, you can't save it. You can't give it away. You can't reinvest in it. Can't get it back. Uh, you can't give it to your family. I mean, everybody has the same fucking 24 hours in a day. And so the the point with that is that, you know, from a workout standpoint, like we, we only have so many left that our bodies are, are going to be able to, to do at that level and capacity. And so they, they should be pretty fucking calculated and, and not just go in there and wing it. Now, granted, going in there and winging it is better than sitting on your fat ass. But uh, but you know, because of that, you know, the bang for your buck thing, you know, we did, uh, 30 clean and jerks, um, at 185 with, uh, just every minute on the minute. So it ends up being 30 and you're doing one every minute. Now, if you haven't done that, it may sound easier than it is. And, and it's not that it's supremely challenging, but, uh, it will, you know, down the stretch, start to test your, your everything, your muscular endurance, your technique, all of it. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on it? So, I mean, and, and full transparency, Mike did 185 and I dropped down to 165. The, uh, the workouts that I had done on Monday and Tuesday were very Olympic centric. So I did snatches on Monday and then hang cleans, hang, hang power cleans yesterday. That's a nice snatch you got. There. <laughs> well, if I had a, if I had a nickel for every time somebody yeah, told me that. It's a filthy snatch. <laughs> but, uh, so today I, I felt good because of the, the duration to kind of work at a more modest weight. So, you know, that was right at about 70 pounds or 70% of my one rep max there. So it was a good number to work at. Yeah. And, for me, the point that you were making is that finite 
time that we have left to be productive and see performance improvement or enhancement is is i mean in our age group it's getting finite you know we're really looking at the tail end of that and so for me everything that i do is as you put it calculated precise and and i don't mind like dropping in at a gym when i travel i don't mind doing that because it's like you said it's better than sitting on my ass yeah but nowadays i i mean i do not like everything is thought out there's a plan there's an objective it's a long-term plan um what's funny is when i when i got really focused into to getting fit again my number one goal was injury prevention yeah that was it over everything else like i didn't want to i didn't want to have the six-pack abs i didn't want to be able to deadlift this crazy number i just wanted to be injury free yeah because i you know i mean you you know we're high mileage athletes we Mm -hmm. put a lot of wear and tear on our body so the last thing i wanted was to do more damage that i would continue to pay for down in the those last waning years so yeah man that 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 means that i had to rethink everything yeah technique became the number one goal like i i I didn't want to add weight until i had that technique down pat yeah so when i get into the gym to do something it's down to like the minute like my even my even my warm-ups and my mobility work down to the minute and i love that yeah i i love having that structure and i love sinking myself into it and and yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna just do a workout to just say that I did a workout that day. Yeah. I want to do the workout and get the most out of it because that's the last, those 60 minutes, however long it took for us to do it, we're not going to get them back. Yeah. No, I agree. And I mean, to me, that's a good philosophy on life, frankly. And that's one I, I try to prescribe to or subscribe to that, uh, you know, is getting getting the most bang for your buck and being as, as efficient as possible. I and mean, one of the things I've learned from enormous number of successful people I've been fortunate enough to be around in the last, you know, 10, 12 years, uh, is that is that they're they're efficiency experts i mean the, as funny as it sounds they're like the bobs from fucking office space but <laughs> but they do like i mean every every fucking hour of the day none of it's wasted you know it's always purpose driven and, and and it's efficient and they've they're continually refining it too you know but you know in terms of people's questions and, I, and i'd love to get your take yeah you know my people ask me you know what types of workouts to me like that's kind of a classic example is I, again i like to get as much out of that as possible so i do a lot of olympic lifts uh, some days I'll go really heavy and do, you know, five sets of five where, where mm-hmm. that weight at five reps is appropriate to, to be about as much as I can do. There's other times where I'll do just body weight stuff, you know, sometimes a workout like this, I, you know, to me, mixing it up and, and not doing the same types of workouts other than that, that they're varied and, and functionally driven is, is kind of how I do it. But what- I, I'm in the same, same thought process, you know, um, we talked about this earlier, which is, you know, I want to see the metrics. I want to see the numbers. I want to see that I'm getting better or that I'm not getting better. And so for me, I, I follow a similar programming. Uh, I like to do, um, I like to balance between strength and conditioning. Yeah. You know, those are the two things. And, and then recently, I've added a new pillar, if you will, which is stamina. Uh, and so while I want the conditioning, which for me is more along the lines of short in nature stamina is that long term just the grind being mm-hmm. able to grind out for that long period like yesterday's workout which was about 36 minutes for me i want that stamina for long term so strength conditioning and stamina are kind of like the things that really yeah. i subscribe to the these grind. days and and strength component can be like your five by fives i love doing the five by fives i do a lot of percentages so i'll find what my one rep max is and i don't care like there's a lot of 
I wouldn't say negative, but a lot of contention about like percentages and working off percentages. But for me, you know, finding a one rep max for whatever it is, and then applying a percentage of that throughout the rest of my workouts, and and then really because it pushes me, you know, like um, doing volume at uh, at eighty percent of my one rep max. That is a no joke. You're yeah. going to be hurting for that, yeah. and, you know. And then I can flip the I can flip it, and I can go more for in you know intensity at a lower percentage and just really crank up the reps yeah. just just get it going so I, I love doing stuff like that it's kind of a fun you know it's fun I, I mean i don't completely understand it there are guys that are way smarter at this than i am and i subscribe to a lot of them and i listen to what they have to say and i apply what it how it relates to me but bottom line is i do not want to waste time yeah. in the gym i do not yeah. want to just go through the motions for the yeah. sake of doing that yeah yeah no I'm, I'm right there with you i mean i i say i'm probably a little more uh fly by the seat of my pants when it comes to stuff like that in terms of you know i i definitely pay attention to metrics but probably not not to the same degree that you do but uh, or or probably even you know as much as i should i just to me i i i look at the rest of my day and i i try to knock out what makes sense and keep it keep it sensible and, and what have you but uh one thing that uh, another kind of follow-on question that i wanted to address quick and, and get get your, your yeah. routine on it was you know, uh, pre-workout, post-workout, you know, I, I, I detailed pretty heavy, you know, my philosophy on nutrition and I'll throw my pre and, and post-workout, but I'd love to get yours too. Is it, sure. I, I don't have a pre-workout. I don't take any of this stuff. Um, I've tried a few different ones and, and to me, I just don't, don't really like doing it. I mean, I have my bone broth and coffee routine that I <laughs> went in detail on the last episode, which I'll spare uh, everybody from again. But, uh, <laughs> you know, about an hour after that, uh, an, an hour or however long after that, at least an hour after having that is when I work out and I just I bring a bottle of water into the gym and, and that's what I drink. Uh, post-workout or recovery drink, uh, same thing. Like I'm pretty pretty simple the what i'm drinking in this bottle right now is fucking pedialyte which uh <laughs> most people probably laugh at but uh i've tried a lot of I, I don't like taking protein shakes right after i work out it makes me feel like i'm gonna fucking throw up um and and any of the other stuff that are you know pretty calculated to take an x amount of time i mean i really i, I like the not really taking much um other than something like this for several hours after i work out from a fat burning standpoint but when it's hot like this and this time of year and i and i lose a gallon and a half of fucking sweat uh, you know in a 40 minute workout i will use a it's just the little pouches the little you know almost like yeah. straw pouches of pedialyte one of them has six grams of carbs in it and, and i split that between two bottles of water over you know an hour after i work out and, and that's it so very little sugar not a lot of carbs but good flavor and some good electrolytes and minerals and shit to replenish that and while i'm hydrating anyway and, and that's the gist of it but uh, what what's your take on both pre-workout post-workout but then also just kind of your nutrition yeah. philosophy well to start with because uh, it hinges for me around nutrition and I, I mean for the most part i'm a carnivore yeah i eat the shit out of meat yeah and i'll i, I eat that as my primary source of, of food uh which much to this may of, of my better half who constantly is berating me for not eating vegetables and my comment is well my my food eats the vegetables i don't have to eat it you know so i'm good i'm good there um but i i would say if i had to pin myself into a corner as far as what i typically do i'm very much more in line with a paleo lifestyle as far as eating dieting but i also am i do time restricted eating intervals so i i don't have anything before 10 a.m and i don't eat anything after 8 p.m and it's it's an interesting kind of scenario. It's uh, similar to inter intermittent fasting, 
But for me, the hard part is like I'm a breakfast eater. I gotta have breakfast, so that means at ten o'clock I stop whatever I'm doing. <laughs> if I can free for all, <laughs> just get out. Do not board. get inside the food cone zone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you lose body parts if you do at that time. Yeah. Um, but I, I like doing that, and what I find is like um, like getting a workout in the morning before my ten o'clock window is tough because I can't have any pre workout. Yeah, I can't have any post workout. Yeah, so it really pushes me, and it, I, I like doing that because I, I like to see what I can do like raw yeah like what you know i wake up in the middle of the night i've got to go i want to make sure that i can do that so working out like that has been kind of a godsend i like that now on the days that i work out like we did today which was after that 10 o'clock i will have uh, a pre-workout and i'm i'm a fanboy for the progenics line i've been uh using them for a while uh, today marks the first day of the crossfit game so they're out there killing it with those guys um i use a pre-workout product by the name of force and it's it's a it's a supplement that has a lot of things in it that are going to help prime again the CNS, get it ready to do what it needs to do. Um, for me, a lot of that has to do with caffeine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, the world does not need me any more on caffeine than I already am. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but it can't stand any less either. No, 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 no. <laughs> It'd be a very, very shallow world. So then I'll do that. And then for me, post-workout is like, a, for me, that optimal time period is like 30 minutes. And 30 minutes after, I got to get a post-workout shake that's pretty heavy in protein. Yeah. And again, I fall onto the Progenix bandwagon with their uh, recovery protein post-workout you know, post shake. And it's pretty simple. you know. And I, what I like about both those products is that because I travel so much, yeah. I can bring them with me. You saw the little canister I had on your counter when I came in here. Just dump it in with a, uh, some nice cool water, and down the gullet it goes. So. And, and for the listeners, he is wearing Progenix underwear. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> just how uh, kind yeah, of you to yeah, notice, he's, Mike? He's not, being, he's not being paid to do it. He's just wearing them. <laughs> how kind of you to notice? <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't help myself. Yeah, uh, no, it's good shit. Um, yeah, I've, I've not tried it again. I mean, I you know I've tried a lot of different supplements and shit over the years. Yeah. And, you know, some of them I I think. Uh, you know, warrant using and whatever. I just, for me, like, you know, I, I, I fall into that, like, you know, maybe you call it a shitty attitude or not being particular <laughs> enough. I, it's just like, fuck, I, I, you know, I'm too busy with other shit or I'm, I'm yeah. ultra realistic. I just like, it, it's been one of those things where I'm, I'm pretty minimalist when it comes to stuff like that. But it's, uh, it's true. And, and the other thing too, is you got to find what works for you. Yeah. And there's a, a lot of experimentation that goes on in any of those pre yeah. and post workout. Yeah. Um, like I do not, like you're not going to see me blame performance on shit. I didn't get the right mixture of my pre-workout <laughs> shit. You know, I, I ate crappy last night. My my yeah. my pre pre pre-workout meal was shit. You know, you're not going to hear me say things like that. I I just find that you know eating cons- and and here's the key. And this can be translated to anything we do in life, which is consistency. Yeah, got to be consistent about what you do. Yeah, uh, and and I think that proves to be more valuable than anything else. So I I am very consistent about what I eat, and I'm very consistent about my routine as far as working out. I do typically nowadays work out a little bit later so that I can get into my eating periods. Yeah, and I mean it works. So with that uh, time time restricted thing, how long have you been doing that? On and off for a while, yeah. uh, but I have now been on it this period. I've been on it for like a month. And so, in, in the times that you're doing that, what uh, what's kind of a synopsis of what you notice benefit wise by doing? Um, so, I think for me, uh, you're going to see because time restricted time restricted in, is is mean, means that you obviously cannot eat outside of these hours, and and those hours are going to vary. Like a lot of times, people will say, well. 
um, you know, you shouldn't, it's a 16 hour window or a 12 hour window or even a 20 hour window. And for me, what I found is I found that 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. to be the ideal time. Um, you know, that gives me plenty of time to eat three meals. Mm-hmm. I have to try to eat three meals. A, a con, if I had to find a con, is that sometimes just life being as busy as it is, I only get two meals in. Yeah. So what that means is that I'm, I'm, I'm intaking less. And so one of the cons that you might come up with is, is like accidental fat loss. Yeah. Not intentional. It's not my, I'm not on this because I'm trying to lose weight. Uh, I'm on this because I want to have a cleaner lifestyle of eating and whatnot. But one of the negative effects is that I can sometimes lose some weight. So after, you know, 30 days, I'm like, I'm down probably like about my, my walking around weight is usually about 185. I'm down to about 180 right now. Yeah. So and I would think that with that, you know, essentially a 12 hour period, you know, or, or half, half of every day you're essentially fasting is, yeah. do, do you notice a significant uh, benefit GI wise and, Shit like that or? Yeah, you know, it, it takes, like, when you start it, you're obviously shocking your system, so it takes some time to really get past that. But once you get past that, yeah, you know, it, it, for me, there is the hunger pains that you will get. And I notice that the difference about those hunger pains is that they're not really, uh, it's not like you can't not eat. Just because your stomach is grumbling and growling, it doesn't mean that you have to stop everything you're doing and go and feed. Uh, it just means that there's some craziness going on in your belly at that point. For me, I found that when my stomach starts to grumble, a lot of times what I'll just do is I'll just drink a, drink some water, really hydrate, and and I'll, it doesn't it doesn't keep grumbling. It's yeah. kind of weird. I didn't give it any food. I just ingested more water, and it kind of pushed that little hunger demon down apparently so yeah. i feel like that has helped out uh, that definitely has helped me out in that sense i also found that my afternoon energy level is sharp yeah. dialed in you know like after a day you're just you're like at the end of the yeah. day you're like well yeah. my uh, i find that my thought pro- like most of my creative work that i do is i do it in the morning because that's when i'm sharp in a sense but i found that when i'm in this kind of eating mode I can do it pretty much any time during the day. Would you say that's the, the biggest benefit or what? I would say so. Yeah, the energy. Yeah, sustain, energy, right? energy is consistent throughout the day. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, because my, I'm not that uh, stringent in terms of, well, shit, I got to wait until it's 10, you know, but but I, I end up, I mean, it's one of the things I talked about last time, I mean, from about that same time, you know, yeah. I, I don't really eat anything. And, and the other thing, too, is the first thing I eat is bone broth and coffee. I mean, no real substance. I mean, mm. it has some protein and some fat in it with MCT oils and stuff, but I'm not usually having that till 9.30 or 10, and I, yeah. and I usually don't eat after about 8, eight or 9 anyway, so it's it's close to that. It's just not, you know, saying, okay, the, here's my cutoff. You know, I'm, I'm not that strict on yeah. it, but but same thing. Like, I noticed in, in eating, you know, much higher fat and, and lower carbohydrate, oh, dude, the, yeah. the energy level and, and the cognition, too, like, my mind is way fucking sharper, dude. Uh, which, you know, I need all the fucking help I can get. <laughs> you know? so, I'm milking the system as best as I can. Yeah, you know, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's been the biggest thing I've noticed with it. But. I, can, I can easily agree with that. But, but part of that, even in that time restricted, like, a lot of times people will take advantage of that and just go hog wild and eat whatever the hell they want. I, I obviously do not do that. And I, my, my macros are dialed in to where I think they're, like, optimal. Yeah. Like, they are, they are dialed in, which works really good for me. Yeah. Like, I only, I, I try to break it down and during this during this 30 day period i went to more something that was a little bit more general so i went with like 35 35 30 so 35 protein 35 fat 30 carbs yeah and 
I, I mean, yeah, I'm taking a like most of the time I'm 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 trying to take in no more than 25% carbs, and yeah. then the rest is mainly I I take that and I add that to my protein. I try to up my protein, and I find that like right now I feel like I'm actually a little bit more balanced by having that 35 35 30 yeah. as opposed to that 40 30 25 that or uh, 45 20 30 25 that i used to do um i think like that was a little bit much on the protein yeah. a little bit much and just hearing you talk about it i feel like i gotta bust out my fucking abacus to keep track of it. <laughs> like, and, uh, uh, you know that's actually that's one of the things i was talking about last time like i've tried a lot of those things and, and for me like i've come to the conclusion of like whether you call it just not disciplined enough or I'm irritated by keeping that close to track or, or whatever, it's just like I, like I said, I, a lot of the, the principles and philosophies that I subscribe to are very similar, but they're, 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 I just don't keep track of them that close, you know. So I, yeah. I, I eat when I'm hungry, you know, uh, relatively speaking. Again, I do try to take a, a good window, but, um, and, I, and I eat, you know, good, clean, you know, clean meat, good fat, vegetables, yeah. a little bit of fruit, but not much. And, and that was another question I got people like, do you eat fruit? I do, but just Fuck not yeah. very fucking much. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd say a few pieces of fruit a week. I mean, not, certainly not even every day, but. Um, you, are you more of a just straight meat or do you eat fruit too? I do eat fruit. I, I mean, like my, like a, an example breakfast, like I, my breakfast is my staple and I, I, I mean, it's almost the same every time I eat about three farm, you know, cage free eggs a, a day. Uh, I'll eat anywhere from a quarter of an avocado to a half an avocado. And then I have to have meat. Yeah. So my meat, my breakfast, I mean, I'm big into, I, I'm a, I, I am a bacon snob yeah. <laughs> so I, i'm very particular about the bacon i eat and I, I i eat everything from like plain you know just maple peppered it's all thick cut it's all damn good yeah. and i will um do you bake it or fry it i pan fry most of the time but every now and then i'll just take a whole pound and just throw it in the oven and bake yeah. it and yeah. then just yeah but so, when i do that what i find myself doing is i go into the kitchen and i yeah, pull it open that thing i just start yeah. eating like it's yeah. candy <laughs> it is it's fucking meat it is. candy. it's man candy yeah it's fucking yeah i mean i, I bake the shit out of it like to me that's the best way to make it well i like it i like doing that because it's consistent and yeah. um it doesn't have as much you know it doesn't the the grease just i use when i do that i put it on a cookie sheet with um with a wire yeah. thing on top so all the grease just falls down yeah. and it's just oh, and i like to I put just, it on foil so it's like a hot oil jacuzzi for that fucking <laughs> shit but, uh, yeah i, mean, I want to fucking marinate in itself oh that's hilarious i, I love it but uh well I, I know i mean we should we could sit around and talk about for sure the, uh, food and, and oh, uh, love it, man. and training all day but uh, we do have some other other topics to mm. cover Typically, I do a lightning round and ask some ridiculous questions right out of the gate to get our minds flowing, but we went right into the workout, so I rolled with it. But, uh, Good. But there are a couple questions Go that for I know it. People, people like to hear, even though our minds are already working. But uh, what is your, I know you're a bourbon guy. Do you have a favorite bourbon? Fuck yeah. Is it bland? It is. You, give me some. <laughs> I'm going to have to show you the stash I have of, uh, of international rare bourbons. Oh, I do. That, I, I, I'll tell you what. Um, like I said, my significant other knows me well. She has acquired some crazy, yeah. crazy stuff. Here's one that freaked me out. All right. Um, she sends it to me. It's hard to get Blanton's in Texas. Yeah. And, and so she found a bottle. She sent it to me. I opened the bottle up and my hands start shaking. <laughs> you know how it has a date stamp you know, on you know, it? They call those people addicts. <laughs> Fucking lip quivering. <laughs> so it starts. My okay. My hands start shaking, and I had to set the bottle down. And the, you know they have that date stamp on on all the bottles, and uh, the date stamp was December nineteenth, two 
1989, oh, which was the night that I was inserted into the first combat operation that Holy I ever did. Holy shit. Yeah, that's exactly. Some, that's some fucking research. That's, so, well, she, I mean, she didn't know that. Oh, no shit. No, she had no like, idea. Fuck. I called her up. I was like. Did you know? Yeah, exactly. She's like, uh-uh. I, I just yeah. found that bottle. Like, you're I, I knew a fucking was, spy. What I knew, the fuck? <laughs> exactly. She goes, I knew it was an old bottle, so I wanted yeah. to get it for you. And it had been yeah. sitting in the liquor store that she was at, yeah, and that she crazy. finally got she finally got the guy to sell it to her. Yeah. And so, I mean, that thing's locked up in my safe. Oh, yeah. That is, I mean, that's going to be broken out for very special yeah. occasions. Have you, are you, do you like pappies? Are you pappies? Uh, it's okay. I mean, I don't mind it. I mean, like, it, I, I settle. Yeah. Like, everything other than Blanton's is I'm, me settling. Oh, sure. Um, Woodford's is my next go-to. You can get yeah. Woodford's a lot of places. Um, I've had a couple of other ones. You know, some of the Japanese blends are actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, but... I'm the same way. I mean, to me, like for for a everyday drinking bourbon, Blanton's can't you can't fucking beat it. Like yeah, I, I love that stuff. I, I mean, there's I, a lot of good ones out oh there. Oh my god, yeah. I, I do. I mean, and granted, you know, there's a couple here. There's actually one. There's a distillery here in Texas called Garrison Brothers, and they produce a pretty damn good bourbon as well. They're fairly new, and I, I have no doubt that with time they'll become just as popular. Yeah. But there's still just something about Blanton's that just yeah. Man. Yeah, no, it's 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 phenomenal. I uh, I was fortunate enough to get a tour of the Buffalo Trace facility yeah. went on, on a day they That's were bought on That's not too far from Blanton's. here. It's Kentucky. But oh, okay. I thought they had a. They must have a, They have something here. I thought like. Yeah, at the uh, just you know up the the Bourbon Trail up there with oh. with all the rest of them, but uh, you know Buffalo Trace is where Blanton's is bottled at, mm-hmm. and, and they were bottling Blanton's that day. So I was like, Damn. ready to just throw my mouth under the fucking <laughs> bottling thing. But but uh, no, it's good shit. I'm right there with you. Oh, good. Um, Favorite thing about Texas? Oh my God! How long is this podcast? You only get one. It's got to be your favorite. Yeah, it's you got to pick one. <sighs> well, I was born and raised here, and you know, uh, my uh, when somebody asked me where, you know, like, what are you? Uh, my response is, well, I'm an American. First of all, <laughs> I'm Texan. Second, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm American by birth and Texas by the grace of God. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing about Texas is. It's just a, it's a state of mind. Yeah. You know, people that, I mean, you've been here long enough, you yeah. kind of see that. It's just a state of mind, you know, aside from the fact that we are completely autonomous from everything. We, we have no self-reliance on the U.S. government in general. Um, I always brag about this. You know, we want our independence the old-fashioned way. We fought for it. Seventeen-minute <laughs> no fight. That's like yeah. you know, UFC fights last last longer than that in some yeah. cases. So, yeah. you know, I always like to brag about that. And um, you know, it's just a, it's a it's a quality of life that I was really happy to bring my kids here yeah. for them to 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 even though they weren't born here, we got them here as quick as we could, and yeah. I think they so they complain it's hot, Dad. I'm like, yes, it's hot. Every place is hot yeah. in the Talk summertime. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know, I think they really appreciate the the you know, and maybe they won't appreciate it now, but down yeah. the road, I think they will. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I've been here. It'll be ten years in November. I'm obviously not from here. I'm from Iowa, but uh, one I'd say the thing that sticks out to me. It's a combination, and they're kind of you know related, but a combination of, of just the culture of the people here, mm-hmm. coupled with uh, the, the the prideful nature of oh, yeah, of, of the citizens of the state, and it's not in a negative way. I mean, because there are places where where it's they're obnoxious about it, you know, mm-hmm. and and you know for sure, just like any place, like yeah, there are people here that take it a little probably further than they should, but <laughs> but but there is there's a, a state pride thing that exists here that. You have to be here to really to understand it, but 
but I find it to be positive because, you know, people, they, they stand up for each other. They stand up for the state. They take oh good care of their shit. You know, like it's it, it's in a very beneficial way for the state. And that's why it's so so successful, I think, I whether it's business-wise or, you know, whatever. But Well, I mean, just not, not to brag, but, you know, and, and it's not it's not a pleasant story, but when we, when we had uh, the hurricane hit recently down in Houston, to see the outpouring of support from yeah. from everybody, oh, I, I mean, it was. I mean, yeah. And the time and the the brief moment that we had the national spotlight, because you know that is that's a that's a compelling story that is too bad that media don't pay more attention to and and actually make it a part of their 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 show or whatnot. But that right there, you know, I I, I remember I took a step back and I I had this overwhelming sense of pride mm-hmm. and my fellow Texans as far as what the, the links that they were willing to go to help their fellow neighbors. Yeah. And, and I do agree with you there. That is a, that is a, it's a thing that is certainly uh, like, it's so funny when I travel throughout the country, like there's just a certain, I, I don't recognize it in myself. It's just the way it is. But when I travel, I notice the difference, yeah. you know, like I, I, I wave to people you know, driving down the road, especially on country roads. I drive down, I wave to people. You know, it's just that common little, you know, hey, what's going on? Um, you know, there's that courtesy that when you're driving, not always, but the courtesy that when you're driving, you know, wave Sometimes back. it's the one finger wave. Yeah, the one finger wave. I, I get that. And then, and, but I just noticed, like, there's a different way. Like, I, I like to, you know, I like to, I, I just, I notice that when I, I, well, here's the best way I can put this. Like, if you were to just, like, rendition my ass and take me someplace outside of the state of texas i would not i would not necessarily know that i'm in some other state like what state it is i would just know that i'm not in texas yeah just by the actions the the attitude the behavior like me walking up to somebody and just kind of like starting a casual conversation that's just not something that happens yeah yeah no i agree i mean to to reference the uh hurricane that came through and flooded the shit out of everything the the you know week or a couple weeks after that was was very reminiscent of of nine you know post nine eleven right. like the the way people came Absolutely. together like just I mean it, out of like the woodworks the, yeah I mean it was just like it was it was almost like give you goosebumps watching it, the coverage I, like, every single time yeah. we watched that on the every time I was on the national news exactly what was happening yeah. like right now that's what's happening right now people yeah. can't see that but yeah, yeah the hair yeah. is standing up on my arms but what people do know is I can feel it so it's uh, a <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you have to watch the YouTube that's, video. That's what's that. so special yeah. about this podcast. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of things going on in mic drop. Oh, shit. Uh, other than just now, what's your most embarrassing moment? <laughs> most embarrassing moment. Oh, God. Jeez, there's got to be one good one. What could it be? I'm sure there's a lot. Oh. You know, what's funny is like, I don't really take myself too seriously. So yeah. it's hard to kind of got no shame yeah i do <laughs> i mean i mean i mean there's times when, like okay like if i'm uh like there's a difference between being embarrassed and just being pissed off because i didn't do good yeah you know that like if i'm around a bunch of team guys and and, and things didn't go the way i wanted to i'd be pissed yeah. you know but i'm not embarrassed yeah embarrassed what could I, what could i do what can i let me think come on there's gotta be something that comes to mind we can circle back. You can, you can, okay, call, you can have a lifeline if you want. Okay. <laughs> I might, maybe I will. Maybe I'll have to phone, text somebody. Phone, phone a friend. I'll, I'll, What's I'll, the I'll dumbest shit sw- I've ever done? I'll phone my swim buddy and ask him because he's always willing to throw me under the yeah, bus. Yeah, no shit. Fucking Keith. Um, <laughs> so this, this one I, I've asked a number of people, and, and this one I, I have no doubt that it'll, it'll be caveated with, well, fuck, it depends on what I'm doing. But, uh, <laughs> do, do, you, uh, do you have a favorite pistol and round? 
Oh. I mean, obviously, it depends now, you on know, how you know, Okay, so that's a good question, and that's an easy question for me. Because, you know, like, I kind of subscribe to the Bruce Lee theory, which is a punch is just a punch. You know, eventually, you know, when you start this out, you get all... Like, I mean, I, dude, I was so into it. I mean, God... And, uh, man, I had every type of pistol you can imagine. And, I mean, I shot them all, and I, I did everything I could. And, and then eventually it just circled back to what is the, what is the most simplest, easiest, something that supports. Because I'm an avid concealed carrier practitioner, and I encourage that. That's one of the things that we're really known for is our concealed carry programs. And when you get into carrying it on an everyday basis, so we define everyday as 80% of your life, yeah. right? So that's 80% of the year, which is 260, 275 days out of the year for 80% of that day. So waking hours being 16, twats, 12 hours. So for that time period, you're carrying a gun on your body. And when you get to that level, you really you significantly change your viewpoint on what works. So I like something that's light. I like something with a good capacity. I don't get into the caliber wars anymore. If you're going to get in, if you're going to throw down with me about calibers, I'm just going to, I'm going to look at you and in my head, I'm going to be, I don't know, thinking about other shit, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna even waste my time. Yeah. So for me, the gold standard, what we see in our classes, bottom line, hands down, is the Glock 19. Yeah. Most popular pistol, it's just, it's just a proven, it's a, it's a, it's a war horse, man. Yeah. And that's obviously in a nine mil, that's chambered in a nine mil. As far as duty ammunition, people ask me this all the time, like, what, what do you carry, what do you carry? And I'm like, well, um, you know, do your research, number one, become familiar with what terminal ballistics are all about so that you're just not, you know, you just don't, follow the crowd that you know what you're talking about and know why i use it's going to be you know if you're choosing something from the big names like you know spear federal winchester remington those guys all produce quality defensive ammo um, you're probably going to be okay but for me i'm either using spear gold dots or federal hst yeah and that's, it, yeah that's, that's exactly my yeah they're they're hard to beat i mean yeah. they do well you know they're the two of the most popular cartridges that have been used in officer involved shootings so you know they they do they perform well in those cases they're popular so they're easy to come by you know it's not yeah. some fringe round that you, you you know you get a box of 20 and you never use them you, yeah. you know yeah. just like you always you know it's like yeah. it's like red dawn you know you hand them out like it's a gold medal <laughs> or something like that hey here you go buddy yeah so that would be it in a nutshell that was easy yeah, yeah. i mean I'm, I'm right there with you i mean the only i guess asterisk i'd throw on there is a I bounce back and forth between the 19 and the 43. Mm, mm. If I'm in running shorts and going to the store or something, then yeah, I like oh, the dude. 43. I mean, yeah, I mean, so that you got to define your mission. Yeah. You know, and these days, um, I have to do a lot of speaking engagements. You know, um, I'm, I, I, like, as you mentioned, you know, I do a lot of work with the NRA. They'll ask me to come out and provide uh, briefings for various subjects, most of them centered around concealed carry. So I'm up there in, you know, pretty nice formal wear of some sort like business attire whatever it might be american flag romper no god i'm afraid not there's a line that i would draw that you know embarrassing moment yeah if you saw me in one of those (laughs) all right right there i'm gonna get you one (laughs) (laughs) um so then uh, like in those cases and what i tell people is like you got to define your mission if your mission if you're gonna if you're if you work nine to five five days a week it's going to be hard for you to get away with carrying a Glock 19 yeah. in, a, in a workplace environment. It's yeah. very hard to do that. So you have to look at other options. And like yeah. the Glock 43 is a great one. Yeah. I, I have what we push in our classes to have a primary, secondary, and backup. And my primary typically is going to be a little Glock 19. My secondary is going to be you know Glock 43. And then my backup is a five-shot J-frame. Yeah. And I love that thing. Yeah. I use that thing all the time. Yeah. No, so. that's, that's funny shit. I mean, it's, 
And, and I promise this wasn't rehearsed. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's the same thing. Like, I have a 19, a 43, and I have an LCR 357 yeah. that I, I keep, like... It's so easy. Just throw them... I mean, yeah. I could be... I could, I could literally yeah. be in a pair, my favorite pair of Speedos, yeah. and I can still fit that thing in my, in my, in my Speedos. Yeah, shit, yeah. <laughs> uh, again, that'll be on YouTube. Just watch, watch the video. We'll do, we'll do some shooting in our Speedos on the, on the back 40 here in a little bit. Uh, keeping it real fucking mic drop style um all right so switching gears a little bit back to just uh, we were talking about it earlier what is there a, i'm gonna put you're gonna put somebody on blast what's the best crossfit gym you've ever been to mm. wow i've been to a lot um the two that come out to, the two that stand out in my head right off the bat one of them is d-town here in dallas mm. i was here for actually i was here for the nra convention uh, the annual meeting, and uh, I went down there and worked out one uh, one of the days that I was here. Super nice people, great people, nice gym, just one of the nicest gyms that I've been to. And then the second one is the Invictus Gym in San Diego. Yeah, that place was awesome. Yeah, those two places I have to say just really stand out. And I've been to, I've got a stack of T-shirts from all the drop-ins that I've been on in the last whatever you know eight to ten years. Yeah. And uh, I would say those are the ones that just come right out at me. Yeah. One, one of the things we were talking about uh, during the workout is just that you see some inconsistencies gym to gym, which yeah. is, is discouraging. Um, you know, and I don't know what the fix is. I mean, there's only so much micromanaging you, you can do in terms sure. of certifications. And I don't know if they're doing annual inspections or, or what. But that's the one thing. Like, you go to a subway, like every fucking subway is the exact same. Sure. You know, to me, like, there, while, while I, I wouldn't want to see or discourage the personality, flavor, culture of, of gyms. Like yeah. to me, the, the training standard, though, needs to be, I, I think, more regimented. But Well, you know, and I think that's, that it's also indicative of the culture. You know, each of those places has their own unique culture. I also think it's, there's, there's three components there. There's, there's the coaches, you know, who they have, how experienced they are. Uh, then there's the, the actual customers themselves, the clientele that come yeah. in there. And, and then there's the programming. You know, those are the three kind of things that you look at. Who do they subscribe to? Do they do their own programming? Do they follow from, you know, HQ? I think, you know, that's kind of how you really help find, you know, gyms that are talented enough to do their own programming have, you know, and, and are in a good, and the other thing too is location. Yeah. I mean, some places are in the middle of nowhere. They just, you know, it's, yeah, it's hard. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's hard. Other places that have, that are, and, 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 and like any place it's like a Starbucks scenario. There's a, there's a Starbucks in every corner. In yeah. some places, there's a CrossFit gym on every corner. And so they are competing for discretionary income. So, you know, they have to have the best coaches. They have to have the best program. And they have to have the best facility in order to draw people to come in there and keep the lights on. Yeah. So I think they, you know, it's a, it's another way to look at it is, um, you know, the capitalistic, capitalistic model. Those that really go out of their way to do those things well attract the customers they keep those customers they have good business and you know they stay they stay in, they stay relative yeah yep no absolutely and you know obviously just like with anything there's uh, you know d different uh, contributing factors mm -hmm. that, and some of them that yeah i mean i i didn't even really think about in terms of the location but uh yeah that's no, absolutely right yeah um, i've been to some like small ass towns and you know like some of the ranges we go to are austere yeah and 
I just kind of, I take a stab. I'm like, I wonder, you know, I Google it and I'm like, sure shit. There's a CrossFit gym there, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, Hey, yeah. all right, let's go check it out. Yeah. That's good shit. All right. So another one, uh, you're going to have to stroke, stroke somebody else's ego. Uh, <sighs> fa- favorite shooting school other than what you provide. Okay. That's actually not that hard either. That's a lot of nostalgia, which would be mid South. Uh, you know, that's where we grew up. I told you when I was pulling onto the property, had a lot of similarities to, yeah. you know, pulling into John's place when I originally went there. And, yeah. you know, I, I was very fortunate that uh, John was still heavily involved in the program back then. In fact, he still lived at the house with yeah. his family when I was there, you know. And then um, and then shortly the bunkhouse, he moved out of the bunkhouse and opened up the uh, dead animal house. Yeah. Then he moved out of the dead animal house. And so, but yeah, I mean, there's just, you know, for us, that's, that's, that's legacy for us, yeah. you know, for, our, for people of our background. Outside of that, other schools, you know, I would have to, I would have to give props to Gunsight Academy out in Arizona. Yeah. I was fortunate to be a staff member out there for a long time. And, you know, if you are looking at the modern day pistol craft, you know, I mean, it all falls on, at the feet of Colonel, the late Colonel Jeff Cooper. And when he was alive, I was very fortunate to be working out there and talk to him uh, whenever he was available to talk. And, you know, they just have, they, they really brought... They were the ones, and I'm, in my opinion, that brought formalized shooting instruction to the general public. Yeah. Because before then, most shooting was relegated just to military and law enforcement. Yeah. There really wasn't anything outside that was available for the private citizen. Yeah. Do you think, to me, it seems like 9-11 potentially spawned a lot of that, just like the holy shit, like uh, the devil's yeah. at our back door. Like, Would you agree that there's been a, a pretty big... In- yeah, I think there's a couple things. Like, There's several contributing factors. The GWAT certainly inflared it. Um, and then I think, to be honest, I, I laid at the feet of the blast president and the horrible policies that we had and the, the rise in crime that we saw, people started to wake up and realize that their personal safety is their personal responsibility. Yeah. And I think that we're still seeing that these days. I think it's, it's good, even with the current, even with the current president and, and his very pro-gun viewpoints, people still are now realizing that their personal safety is their personal responsibility. So we've seen huge, huge, like... Case in point, um, one of the things that I do again is I talk about numbers. And so, you know, the U.S. population is right around 330 million. Right now, there's 16 million concealed license holders in the country. Yeah. Um, Texas holds the place, uh, we are one of two states that has over 1 million. So that's, that's around 5% of our population right now. Now, just for a moment, consider what our landscape would look like when we were in double digits, when there are over 10 million legal license to holder holders in the country what what that would do for us i mean just i mean it, uh, we'd be looking at a completely different landscape right now mm-hmm. i mean so many of the problems that we have right now would more than likely go away yeah. just because of that just because of that one simple step that people are taking yeah. it's amazing uh, yeah i mean to me the i mean one of the, one of the neatest uh graphics i've ever seen it's it's a side-by-side picture of a lion chasing a fucking antelope and the antelope's hauling ass running away from him on one side of the picture or graphic and on the other side a lion just sitting there staring at a fucking porcupine you know and to me like you don't even need any words with that you know but 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 it's like like that tells you everything you need to know like and in texas i mean it's, it's one of the reasons why there's there's such a a disparity between a place like here in detroit or washington dc or the entire fucking state of california <laughs> is that you know most people 
know that that most fucking people in their car have a fucking loaded gun within arm's reach because you can and you don't you don't even need a permit for that and so you know to me just knowing that like there's a, a whole hell of a lot less bullshit because of that well i mean there's that and I, another thing that boggles my mind what people don't take into consideration is that you know the the criminal element as, as much as we would like them to be dumb are, are not dumb yeah they they are smarter than we think and they're smart enough to know that they're going to want that, that you know that they can they, they've evolved over the decades of criminal activity to the point where they understand the use of force that law enforcement is required to use mm-hmm. now a private citizen has to still be justified to use deadly force there's no question about that but if they're justified to use deadly force the force continuum is different for them than it is for law enforcement and the criminal element knows that so when you ask a hardened criminal who do you fear the most uniformed police officer armed citizen hands down it's going to be the armed citizen and and so that 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 should say that should speak volumes the more people that are armed then if and especially when they're carrying concealed well now the criminal element doesn't know who is armed so they just out of out of self-preservation they're going to more likely assume that you are yeah and, they're gonna, and, and what I talk, tell people is that, you know, the difference between a hard target and a soft target. Criminal element needs to be able to survive and escape um, conviction or mm-hmm. escape, uh, you know, arrest. Yeah. So if they feel like either of those two is going to be in, come up in question, like if they feel like they might be injured or they feel like they might be arrested, they're going to look for a different target. Yeah. Unless you were the intention, unless you were the, like the... You were the focus of that attack, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. Road rage, um, you know, you pissed somebody off and now you've got a hit team coming after you, whatever. Yeah. That is different. But on, on, the, on the average, if you present yourself to be a harder target and you create the, the question of injury or arrest, then the criminal element is more than likely going to choose somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's basic basic psychology, really. But yeah. um, all right, so uh, going to do three three quick, just first thing that comes to your mind questions, and then uh, we'll we'll be coming back to some Second Amendment stuff. Mm. Your attention is precious. Hold in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate. We help keep your focus on the moments that matter most, like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the benefit of blue. Learn more at benefitofbluesc.com. Before Sarah discovered chumbacasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah. Woohoo! Often thinks about the old boring Sarah yes. and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, but, uh... Real quick, uh, mm-hmm. b- best place you've ever vacationed? Oh, Jesus. 
I thought you'd be like, well, your mom's house. It's <laughs> <laughs> my, fa- my favorite spot. <laughs> Best place I've ever vacationed. Jeez. I would have to say probably Hawaii. Mm-hmm. I love going there. Any specific island? Uh, the main island, yeah. yeah. Right. Best piece of meat. Oh, Jesus. Now New see, York Strip, baby. Now see, again, I thought you'd have a smart-ass answer. Like, well, uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, you, you did not say piece of ass. Yeah. You said a piece of meat. I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> um, New York Strip, New extra York lean. Strip. No shit, really? Yeah, man, dude. I do not like fat. I just want meat. You haven't, I mean, like, are you not an A5 Wagyu type of? I, I don't mind any of those. I, in fact, we were just talking, like, yep. um, here's, a, here's a shout out to a place in Coronado, California, right off of Orange Avenue called Steak, S-T-A-K-E. If you're ever in the neighborhood, that place will change your life when it comes to eating meat. Yeah. Dude, do, they, it, do they have Wagyu oh, yeah. and A5? Dude, there? they have that. And here's the thing, like that stuff, that stuff is, it's, it's delivered quick, right? There's no doubt about it. But what those guys do is they have the actual cut, the meat itself shipped, and they butcher it themselves on site. Yeah. Oh my God, it's crazy. They bring you out this plate of meat. You gotta look on my Instagram feed. For those of you interested, it's JL underscore Gonzalez. Scroll down like April, and the, the waiter brings out the plate of meat, and, he, and they, they talk about each of those different cuts. And every one of those cuts that you would want is on there. Yeah. And I went with the, it was actually a, a New York strip that was Wagyu grade. And dude, oh, yeah. this is so bad. The next thing they'll bring out to you is the cutlery. Yeah. You get to choose your knife that you're going to use to cut that steak. And each one of those knives has different flair. It's like different. It's like your yeah. personality. Yeah. What? How, how fucking expensive is that place? Does it matter? I mean, I'm just curious because I've, I've been to a few. If different. you have to ask, Mike, it's too expensive for you. All right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Fucking baller on a budget over. There. <laughs> um, I think, uh, like, I think that New York strip I had was about eighty bucks. Yeah. And because um, I mean, most pl- like there's I've been to places in Vegas and New York and whatever. Like usually, you know, and even here in Dallas, there's a couple of places that serve like a5 but it's always per ounce you know and it's like yeah. 60 bucks per ounce no yeah and, and a minimum of fucking four ounces yeah or no, this place was I, I think this well i'm 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 this was back in april so i can't remember but i want to think that the the two steaks that we had mine was about 80 bucks i think jamie's was a little bit more expensive she picked something a little different but yeah, of course she did <laughs> <laughs> shout, shout out to jamie <laughs> But uh, get you in trouble. Yeah, that's okay. I'm always in trouble. Um, but yeah, dude, that 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 place was just and it, it the ambiance, the environment yeah. there. It's like I was telling you. Um, like I will catch a nonstop from Austin to San Diego, catch an Uber, eat an early dinner, and then fly home. Yeah, that night. That's fucking nutty. Yeah, that's good shit. Yeah, I have to go try. And dude, I'm telling you, like I am a I'm a snob when it comes to shit yeah. like that. It hardly like, shows if you're willing to fly all the way. <laughs> Yeah, now, yeah. now I expect some yeah. real good treatment the yeah. next time I'm there. Yeah. Damn it! No but um, yeah, yeah. But they again, and their 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 atmosphere, the ambiance, yeah. fantastic. And you know that place there on the second deck, so you got a nice view. It's yeah. like you can look right out to corn. You can look out right to the hotel yeah. Dell. Yeah. And since we talked about this already, they do stock Blantons. No shit. That's I mean, there's not a lot of places. No, do, but that's, that's the shit, thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Good so, deal. All right, last question: favorite Texas place for barbecue. <sighs> That's almost an impossibility. That is almost an impossibility because I live down in Austin, which they're, I mean, you know, we're, we're have, stone's throw. From, have you ever waited in uh, Franklin's line? No. Yeah. So you've no. never had Franklin's? I have had Franklin's. We've it's had it catered. catered. Yeah. yeah. It's so not I've the ne- same though. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I, I give them props. They make some, they make some good meat, but I'll tell you, man, 
La barbecue. There's uh, Blacks is another good one. Yeah. Jesus, Blacks. And here's the thing. When people come to visit, I, again, it should not come as no surprise that I'm a snob when it comes to barbecue as well. And I have rules. Like when I travel, <laughs> yeah. and I travel and I go to places and the, 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 my hosts that, I, that take care of me when we go places, they'll be like, Jeff, we we've, we've, we've found a barbecue place for you. Yeah. I'm like, here are the rules. You realize we're in fucking New York. <laughs> Wherever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I'm saying, here's the rules. So here's, here's Jeff's rules for barbecue. Number one, they have to have an on-site smoker. Yeah. No on-site smoker is not barbecue. Yeah. Okay. Rule number two, they have to serve it by the pound. They have to serve it by the pound. Rule number three, they have to have an experienced cutter. Yeah. No good cutter, no good meat. Yeah. They cannot serve it as a platter. If it yeah. comes as a platter, it's not it's not fucking barbecue. Yeah. And number f- the, the last one, they cannot cover it in sauce. Yeah. If it comes on a plate already sauce, look, look, over there laughing. <laughs> if it comes on a plate already with sauce, it's yeah. not barbecue. Yeah. Because oh, to me, what's funny about that is that like people in Texas, like you wouldn't have to say any no! of those things. Like everybody. <laughs> that's exactly, yeah. that's exactly you know, what like, I'm saying. It's like, no, that's just how it is. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. it. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up in Iowa where like the extent of barbecue is a fucking. Uh, you know, a Weber gas grill and, and burning hamburgers on it, you know, like I, I, I mean, and here's what's sad. I'm so glad we're talking about this because when I left for the Navy, it, it was almost exactly 20 days before I came back to the yeah. state. And when I came back to visit for leave and stuff like that, the last thing I wanted to do was go eat barbecue. You know, I, I grew up on this stuff. So I, I was so jaded. It's yeah. so, oh God, we are here house hunting for our new home when we were relocating back to Texas and we stopped in at a Ruby Rudy's barbecue and I I, I literally had a moment. I had a moment where I just was like, (laughs) praise Jesus. (laughs) And but then I was mad. I was like, I denied myself this glorious meat for 20 years. Um, so sound, sound like a nun. Ah, oh, dude. Oh man. I'll tell you what. So like, there's just so many good barbecues down in Austin. Um, the two, the two that I really push hard are blacks and Rudy's. Yeah. Rudy's like blacks is just, I mean, their, their meat is, and that's what it all starts with. It's just the meat first, yeah. you know, yeah, no, it doesn't I mean, matter. You can still barbecue a piece of shit. Yeah. It's still going to be just a cooked piece of shit. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I make the reference with dogs is, that, you know, <laughs> g- genetics, like, so like if the genetics aren't there, I don't care how good of a trainer you are. Like yeah. you're not going to be at the level, you know, it's but. so funny. It's so funny that you mentioned New York city. Cause when I was up there doing a class one time, um, the boys up there again, they want to take me out to this barbecue place. And so I will give him props. It was a, it was kind of a nice place, but uh, you know, it didn't meet a lot of that stuff. They, they had they served it by the pound. They had a cutter, and I'm looking at the meat. At, you know, they have it like in a deli display, and I'm looking at the meat, and I'm like, dude, I want it extra lean. You need to trim all that fat off. And and there was like no meat. It was just fat. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, don't you have like, lean meat? Don't you have like lean brisket? He's like, this is the cuts of meat that we have. I'm yeah. like, okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. I'm going to drive through Taco Bell. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. That was awesome. I love that. Yeah. So, on a side note, Rudy's has the most consistent meat. Yeah. Like, you can have a Rudy's, you know, we can go to a Rudy's up here. We can hit a Rudy's in Waco. We can hit Rudy's all over Austin, down in San Antonio, and they are damn consistent. Yeah. There's two places here that that I go. I mean, Pecan Lodge is is probably the most popular one, which I'm I'm not a huge fan of mesquite, Mm. you know, not unless it's like just a little bit of it. And and they use all all that. Still really good meat. They do a great job. I just, to me, me the mesquite is overpowering. But yeah, it is. uh, There's a place right here in town that we'll go to after this called Fat Boys, which you you know it's good if it's called Fat Boys, but. (laughs) 
uh, it's actually, I mean, it's one of the best places I've been to, and, and it's the closest restaurant to my fucking house. Uh, thank God. How but, lucky are you? Yeah. Um, it's still 15 minutes away, but it's the closest <laughs> fucking restaurant. But, uh, and then the other one, the, my favorite place in Dallas, um, and, and I, I would say it, it's it's as good as anywhere I've ever had is Hutchins. Ooh, um, and, and I don't think I've heard of them. You know, but the, talking about the consistency piece, like that's the one thing that I'm, I'm always baffled at. I mean, they start serving at eleven, and I think they close at nine or maybe even ten, mm. and all goddamn day you can get. You know, like it's Dude. just pulled off the fucking thing. And, and I mean, I've smoked enough and, and experimented enough. Like, that's not an easy fucking thing. To it do. is not. To, to have it that quality. Dude. Right at the right temperature for fucking 12 hours straight. Like, I mean, that's. It, it's, a, it's a science. Yeah. I mean, like, if you've ever gotten into that type of business. And there's a, there's another barbecue place. And I got to give them props. It's called Smith. So a lot of, uh, like, the history of barbecue is not too far from Austin. And, uh. There was like a family out there, and yeah, the Lockhart's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's um, there's another barbecue place called Smith's, and their original pit was lit. At the turn of the century, last century, right? Yeah. It stayed lit for this entire time. Yeah. And so when they opened up this new place in Austin, they they literally got a truck and they lined it with some sort of metal that could keep everything in, the embers hot, and they they loaded up the embers from the original pit brought it to the new pit that's fucking bad isn't that badass yeah, yeah. and they they that pit has now been run that pit technically can say that it has been running yeah since the turn of the century god damn that's fucking isn't that cool. cool that's really cool I what know. place is that smith's smith's yeah. and it's in shout Austin. out to smith's yeah they're another good one i, yeah. I dig smith's yeah. yeah i mean you know texas is, yeah there's fucking great I, I mean that's the thing it's like ah oh, jesus yeah, it's everywhere but. yeah all right, so uh, transitioning uh, into the pivot of, uh, obviously, you're from Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to talk just a little bit about your childhood, kind of yeah. kind of a synopsis of, you know, where you grew up and, and family. And were there any, you know, kind of experiences that, that shaped, uh, you know, who you are that, that kind of stand out oh, as you were growing yeah, up that, that are worth mentioning? So I, I did. I grew up here just north of San Antonio in the Hill Country. And I, I, I have what I consider to be, like, back then, it would, would be a, a normal childhood, yeah. you know? Had a bunch of friends. Some of these friends I am still absolutely close with, guys that I played Little League with. I was in the Boy Scouts, and I did a lot of stuff. I loved being in the outdoors. I loved just kind of going on my own. And there was one moment that I vividly recall because it scared the shit out of me. I was on a camping retreat, and we are out at this place that had a... Uh, kind of like a, there's a small little pond and on one side was kind of like the beach and on the other side was a steep cliff. And I don't know how tall it was. It, it, I mean, it, it looked like it was, you know, El Capitan, mm-hmm. but it probably was only maybe like 100 feet tall. I mean, it was definitely tall enough that you would die. Yeah. I got this wild hair up my ass that I would climb this cliff. And the other funny thing is that back then I was afraid of heights. <laughs> so <clears throat> I remember I start climbing up there and I got to a point where I, I was overcome by like fear, mm-hmm. like I'm going to die. I, 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 I'm stuck. I can't, there's no easy handholds or moves that I can make and I can't climb back down because it was so steep that I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And I free climbed this thing. I didn't have any rope or protection. So I remember I was just like in this moment, this like surreal moment of my God, I'm going to die. And I mean, all the shit that I did in the Navy, all the 
fucking stuff that was thrown at me. There was a couple moments too in the Navy that I felt like I was going to die, but this one was a watershed moment for me because I can vividly recall like, okay, you've got to get yourself out of here. You, you, like, I, I, I mean, there, there was a moment when I thought I could survive the fall. How, how old were you at this time? 13, 14. Yeah. So, you know, I literally thought that I could survive the fall. And I was about ready to kind of test that. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> <I can> PLF. <laughs> Most of you aren't going to know what that is. No. Right. Uh, so, and I just kind of remembered that, you know, it was like, all right, well, you got yourself into this mess. You, know, you need to fucking cowboy up and climb the rest of this cliff. And I, I kind of like, and this has been my philosophy in life in a lot of cases, is like, you just, you, you, can't, you can't look to the top of the cliff you got to look for the next handhold. Yeah. And so I started looking and I, I found a handhold. It was a far reach and I got it. And I remember there's this little sapling tree growing out the tide of the, of this, of this mountain and, or this cliff. And I said to myself, if I can at least climb up to that, I can hold on to that and maybe call for help. Yeah. That was my plan. I, I never really have good plans by the way, because <laughs> I'm out in the middle of fucking nowhere. I'm sure nobody would hear me. <laughs> But I got this tree I'm hanging on to. <laughs> Hang on to it for dear I'm str- life. I'm stroking the sapling off, though, so it's all right. <laughs> so I, I, I got to that little sapling, and uh, I got to that sapling, and again, I just kept looking for the next handhold. So I just kept looking for the next handhold, and uh, it, I mean, it took me probably, I don't know, forever yeah. to get to the, to the top, and I climbed out to the top, and I remember I got up to the top, and that whole time, I was scared. There's no doubt about it. I was scared, but my heart rate wasn't quite... I don't recall my heart rate getting crazy, which is kind of the same for me, like in a lot of the shit that I did in the Navy, you know, my heart rate would not get that crazy. Mm -hmm. I got to the top of that fucking cliff. I rolled over on my back and my heart like flew into my mouth. Like literally just like, like at that moment when I was safe is when like the adrenaline. Yeah. That's when it hit me. And that was kind of, and again, that was again, a watershed moment for me because a lot of that um, I take with me into all the stuff that I did. And I had the same kind of scenarios in the Navy, a little different, obviously, but I just would keep my, keep my wits about me and just focus on that next handhold. And uh, that, that was like my philosophy. So yeah, that was a defining moment in my childhood that I can vividly recall. And I got on the top and when my heart rate settled down, I ran nonstop back to our camp. No and I was like, I'm never going back to that pond again, <laughs> ever, ever. And everybody was like, the next day, we're like, hey, we're going to go check out this little fishing pond. Nope, not going. <laughs> not going. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> God damn, that's fucking gnarly. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that, does, that says a lot, though, like, to be able to self, self-regulate and motivate that way. Like, I, I, I truly think that there's a genetic component there. Like, some people are wired that way and some Probably. people are, you know, but um, that's good shit. Uh, did you have siblings? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I have a younger sister. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how was any, any things of note relationship? What, like, did you uh, just get along well, and fight? I was her, oh God, yeah, we're siblings. I was her older brother. She could not have a boyfriend at any point in time. Um, <laughs> how, how much younger is she? Two years. Yeah. So uh, she was a freshman when I was a junior. Hmm. So yeah, great girl, love her to death. I'm very proud of her. She is, um, she's actually a doctor, a PhD doctor in education. Oh, no yeah. 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 So um, definitely the smarter part of our family. Yeah. But like, we, I mean, we fought all the time. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, that's not true. We didn't fight all the time. But there was still like a, um, the rivalry, yeah. the sibling rivalry. Yeah. yeah. But, well, uh, parents-wise, um, relationship with mom or dad, like, was there a strong influence in terms of, you know, really um, kind of setting the standard moral-wise, character-wise, principle-wise, or how, how was that? Well, 
I mean, I had great parents. My mom and my dad, I mean, I love them to death. I feel like I wasn't really formulated until I left home. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like they imparted on me. Like, I have so much to, to give thanks to for them. Like, I consider myself, you know, a gentleman, and I have my mom and dad to thank for that. Yeah. I, I, that's I try that's to, debatable. <laughs> <laughs> I hold the fucking door open, Mike, okay? That's gentleman enough. While, while I slap, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with a good ass, Mike. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel as though um, they imparted on me just so many, so many things that I took for granted. And, and I've, I've had a, you know, I've had, I have two boys yeah. and they are, they're wonderful. They're the best thing that has ever happened to me. And they, but they're not without their challenges. Yeah. And I have over the last several years, I've had a much closer relationship with my dad. Just as we like, I asked my dad, Hey dad, can you like, Give me, you know, like, was I this bad? You know, and he he would laugh. Yeah, yeah like exactly. I, I remember this one time. You, need, you ain't seen nothing. <laughs> I remember this one time. We, we were out at the house, and the boys were much younger. They were like uh, seven, nine, somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe six, eight. I don't remember. And they were just they were being atrocious. And I got up from the living room and I walked into the kitchen, and I'm trying to just take a little moment, a little time out for myself. My dad comes into the kitchen, and he gets himself a glass of water. And uh, I see him walking back. He's just got this big shit-eating grin on his face. And I'm like, Dad, what? He's like, what? And he's just laughing. I'm like, why are you laughing? And he just shakes his head. And I'm like, why are you laughing? Now I'm getting pissed. Yeah. And he just kind of stops, takes a little sip of water. You know, just like, he's like, just, like, just, just, you know, he's like, payback. <laughs> that was it. Just like that. And I was just like, you son of a bitch. Oh my God, <laughs> Karma, you fucking whore! <laughs> oh, that's fucking great. Yeah, I don't have boys. I have two girls, which I yeah. actually think is worse as far as Karma. I think I think it, it all yeah. it, everything comes around. Yeah. Everything comes around. Like they're they're easy in some parts and yeah. hard in the others. Yeah, no, I, oh, I, I don't think uh, I don't think I'm, I'm actually glad I didn't have boys. Looking back on it, I, I don't think I have the patience. Like, <sighs> I, I probably would have fucking killed them. I, I oh um, my God, yes, but that's uh, a whole other story. Yeah. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, as, as you're growing up and, and kind of, I'm, I'm always curious, you know, whether it's EMS, first responders, military, especially, you know, special operations guys, but, you know, I know I had my instances that really shaped and, and drove me to, to join and and Mm. most specifically join the SEAL teams. What, uh, what was that for you? Mm. Well, so I swam. I heard you mention that you swam as well. So I swam, and I, the the only reason why I swam was so I could play water polo. Mm-hmm. I love water polo. I ate that shit up. I was built for that. And I was I was a gifted athlete, and my our we we swam. Um, we had a really good swimming program, and we had a giant pool called a natatorium, and we had all of the high schools that swam there. And there was each of the high school coaches, and then there was the head coach. And I remember one day the head coach brought me in. And he asked me, hey, have you ever heard of a pentathlon? And I'm like, well, I don't think I've heard of it. I mean, I know what a triathlon is, so I can assume that pentathlon means five events. And he's like, yeah, it's modern-day modern day pentathlon. And I was like, I don't know anything about it. And he goes over the, uh, the events. You know, there's uh, the traditional running and swimming, but then the other three events are kind of cool. Um, there's shooting, fencing, and equestrian riding. 
And I was like, well, I don't know. At you. the same time? <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, yeah. The, the history behind that was the during the Napoleonic Wars, the um, the messengers. Yeah. That was the, the key. The messenger to be able to get back, he had to be able to do all that. Yeah. So that's kind of where the origins of that pentathlon game or sport came from. And so I got involved in that, that sport, and I went to... Fort Sam Houston, which is down in San Antonio, which is where the National Pentathlon headquarters is at. And I met the head coach. And I was then taken to another building, and I met these two other guys. And these other guys were working in this office space. And it was just the most, it was the typical typical military office, you know, like cinder block walls painted gray with gray desks. Yeah. And that was it, right? Yeah. And they're in there, and they're in their uniform, and they're, they're in like dress blues. And I look at them, and I'm like, Hmm. And the head coach goes, yeah, and these are, these are the military guys. And these are, um, these are SEALs. And I was like, huh? I kind of knew what they were, but I'd never really seen anything. I was like, hmm, uh, okay, cool. Um, well, what I didn't know was those guys were attached to that command to train for the modern-day pentathlon, yeah. which I thought was pretty cool. Um, I trained for that for my entire senior year and senior summer. Then I went off to nationals and I competed at nationals. I did really good at nationals. And then literally as soon as I was doing nationals, I enlisted in the Navy. Yeah. So, um, did you get to know those guys at all? Or? Not really. I mean, because the, the, the schedule for the training was like, I mean, eight, eight, eight hours a day. It was like going, it was almost like physically it was like going through butts. Yeah. You know, you swam, ran, then you either fenced, shot or rode horses yeah. all day long. That's all we did for uh, like six weeks. God damn. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a blast. Yeah. I loved it. I, I really took the fencing. Yeah. Fencing was awesome. Yeah. I, I dug that. I, and I wish, I wish I could continue that sport. I'd like to re-emerge myself in that sport. Like full-blown Zorro and shit over Wow, here. dude, I was fucking <laughs> cut your ass up. Besides, um, you know what? I, I, I'd love to get involved in that sport again just because, uh, number one, there's a lot of history to it. Like, yeah. it's old. It's old in that sense, right? But when you think about it, I mean, that's like a... It's like a killing sport. Oh, it's fucking primal as shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, the, the, I, I could do without the tights and the fucking the fly yeah. mask. But. Well, I took a couple of hits. The funny thing about it is like um, things get real fast yeah. in the fencing sport. And the, uh, the bell that sits around the apay is a, is a metal bell. And if, if somebody's lunging at you and you move just right, that bell will hit you in the head. And more than one time, I saw stars. Yeah. Oh, man. Because it's like basically getting punched with a brass knuckle. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, <laughs> it, I don't doubt why, why it's required. I'm yes. just being a smart ass. Oh, but. well, I, it's okay. I'm, I'm just trying to give you a little history. I'm trying yeah. to educate you, yeah. Mike. The more you know. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So I, I dug that. I did, yeah. I, I did dig that. Um, so, yeah, that was fun. And I think, like I went, like I said, I went straight from there right into the Navy. Yeah. And so what, what year did you enlist? 87. 87. And you got out. Well, let, let's kind of sure. chronologically fucking follow this. So you sure. came in in 87, went through Bud's what class? Uh, 155. 155. So then after that, uh, where was your first, first? SEAL Team 4. SEAL Team 4. So I was at SEAL Team 4 for almost 10 years. And, and back then, that was when it was still South America. Yep. Uh, exclusively yep. central right? and south america yeah. that was us any any good good deployment experiences oh, to fuck, talk dude. about dude my first deployment was down uh, you know into uh panama were you guys doing counter narc shit oh yeah, yeah. oh dude what, what can you share about that uh oh nothing but... <laughs> next <laughs> that's Let's a cool see. story bro so anyway <laughs> no i mean so it was so funny because you, you remember um 
like generally in third phase. Yeah. So like when I when I went through buds, first of all, it was a lot harder than anybody else's. Oh, for sure. We all know yeah. that. But they had third phase as the second phase. And our land warfare was second phase. Yeah. And then dive you finished with diving. And I remember we were in uh, we were out at the island and uh there was there was a visit we had from SEAL Team Four guys. And the EXO was a guy who I later or the the, the representation were guys that I later worked with. And uh, Duke Leonard was a guy who is in, you know, back in that day was a legend. And he comes out with Master Chief Brian Keith. And they sit there and they tell us about what, hey man, we're in the shit. We're going downrange and we are doing God's work. They were recruiting because you know how at the end of, towards the end of your class, you would do your dream sheet and figure mm -hmm. out what you wanted. So the funny story was I listened to all that and I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on my dream sheet, I put 135, and I even put SDV Team 1. Yeah. Like, I wanted to stay on the West Coast. Yeah. And they like, were like, your last name's Gonzalez. You're coming to Team Fuck 4. Fuck <laughs> you. You're going straight over here, dude. And I remember I was complaining that when we got our orders, and the instructor Faye, what was it? Mike Faye, I remember I was kind of complaining. I was sopping. I was yeah. the only one. Um, so this is what was so funny. I was the only one that went to SEAL Team 4 in my buds class, and for the next three buds classes, I was the only one that went to SEAL Team 4. No shit. Yeah. So I was a new guy. Holy for fuck. Almost like you the, were the new guy. I was the fucking new guy. <laughs> oh, and what was so funny was my, my, my roommate was the, the previous new guy. Oh, man. So he got relieved of that yeah. command. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Shit so I was, I was a new guy there. And, it, it, you know, I went through, back then, STT was done in-house. Yeah. We did it all in-house. And I, I got, I remember I got pulled in to the, um, the chief of the, that was running STT super i mean the dude had like the thickest new england accent ever yeah. i mean that that guy i mean he just bled clam chowder you know <laughs> so um his name was brian and i remember he's like brian bracket he goes he goes hey you're getting pulled out of stt and i i about lost it i thought oh my god like i'm getting up. kicked out yeah. yeah i'm getting fucking kicked out yeah Oh fuck! What I do? I'm thinking I didn't do anything that everybody else didn't do. What the fuck? <laughs> you know? And and I, then I start thinking, oh my god, fuck! I, I'm I'm totally screwed. And he must have seen me just kind of like slunk down, <laughs> slumped down in my chair. And he's like, no, 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 you're getting pulled out to go into a platoon, and oh, your platoon shit. is getting yeah, your platoon is getting ready to go downrange. So what had happened was um, a platoon that was slated to go down and eventually was responsible for all the pre you know the battlefield prep and stuff um, one of the guys broke his arm on a fast rope on a vbss stuff and so i replaced him i jumped right in and we literally i mean dude it was a whirlwind tour yeah um i jumped into that platoon and that platoon was stacked they had purposely built that platoon for that mission and so so did you uh for the, for the listeners that don't know two things uh, stt is seal tactical training which is the advanced training follow-on after you go through buds or you know the original uh or, or primary seal school before you go to a seal team but back then and, and same with with even when i was in is that you know you didn't get your your trident your your seal insignia pin uh, awarded to you to to actually become a, an official seal until you're at the team and you had to go through pro, you know six month probation mm -hmm. and go through a chief's board whereas now they they hand it to them uh, at the end of SQT, at the end of SQT yeah. which I fucking vehemently disagree with I'm right there with you man uh, but um, at any rate what I'm curious so for you then how did that how did that work because I know for me like 
I mean, I, I graduated STT and then went to the team and had to sit around for six fucking months and, and go through that whole process. So I, Bef- I got thrown, so I got pulled out to get thrown into the workup to lead up to yeah. what we were going to do. So I got a fast track yeah. through all of that. I still had to go through my, uh, my chief's board and my chief's board was stacked with dudes again. These are all just fucking pipe hitters, yeah. old school pipe hitters, man. And I still, I mean, I have so much respect for these guys. Yeah. I mean, like I tell people I am where I am today because I stand on the shoulders of some fucking badass frogmen. Yeah. So I went to my chief's board. I remember I, I missed three questions. And I can still remember one of the questions. Yeah. It pisses me off to this What's day. your middle name? <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. No. Fuck, I can't the remember. question that I missed on my board was, how many chem lights are on a fast rope for nighttime operations? Yeah. And I, I couldn't remember. I, I said two, and there's yeah. actually three. Yeah. So one, on the, one at the a coupler, one at the bitter end, and then one nine feet up. Yeah. So you can know when you're going to fast rope into oblivion. Yeah. So I missed that question. Anyhow, um, so I got, I got my... Um, I got through my chief's board. They, they awarded it to me. We literally left the, like the week after that, we left for our jungle warfare yeah. training program. And right after we got done with that, we went in a, back then we went into isolation. Yeah. So we were in isolation for a while until they finally put us in the game. They put us in the game about 45 days before we were scheduled to go down there. Yeah. And um, I mean, it was for a new guy, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to tell our current, Frogmen, hard to give them an understanding of that that type of environment, but dude, it was it was awesome. I mean, yeah. it it formed me, it forged me. Yeah, I mean, all the forging that happened in Buds and STT was fantastic, but that first deployment, because what I ended up doing was I ended up doing a back to back deployment. My level of experience that I had down there, they had a guy that didn't re up on the next platoon that was coming down and replace us, so. They asked me if I wanted to stick around. I said, yeah, sure. I mean, I got nothing better to do. So I, my first deployment was 14 months. God damn. Yeah. I stayed down there a long fucking time. In yeah. fact, it, it was good and bad. It was yeah. good in the sense that I learned that place like the back of my hand. Yeah. And all the countries that we would go to, it was bad because they wouldn't let me go. Yeah. Like I, there were several times that I had orders to other teams and um, the CO wouldn't, didn't want me to, to yeah. leave uh, because of my experience that I had down in those that area and because we didn't have a lot of experience too i mean we lost a lot of guys after after panama a lot of guys went uh, elsewhere mm-hmm. and so by the time i came back there was nobody yeah. you know we just had we, we didn't have that we didn't have that knowledge of the ao like i had yeah so that was kind of a good deal for me was there in terms of kind of the real world shit i don't know how much of it you can actually share you know but uh a did you have shit to do with panama b any other things that you can talk about in terms of what, what you were involved with? Real well, world? yeah. I mean, we were involved in, um, yes, I was involved in Panama. That one was, that was a hard one as your first time at bat. Yeah. But it was also, again, the forging process that I went through. Uh, I came back from that and, dude, I was, I was a live wire. Yeah. Because after seeing what I saw as a new guy and what we were doing as far as our Pro, you know our pro dev i was like no we got to be doing it differently this is not what it's like yeah this is not at all what it's like and i tell people the same thing like there was talk about wanting to take hell week out of buds i'm like fuck that yeah because that right there it, i will tell you straight up that was that was my first experience in combat yeah we we went non-stop i mean back to back to back you come back in you clean your gear you get ready to go come back in clean your gear get ready to go and you just did that we did that i can't remember how long we did it for yeah and um 
you're like almost a walking zombie by, by a certain point of time. And, uh, you finally stand down after a while, you get relieved or whatever the case might be. But geez, man, that I, I tell people that hell week was actually easy compared to that. Yeah. The first like 14 days. Yeah. It was that's yeah. walking the cake. Cause you were told what to do. Yeah. Hell week was easy. You just went. Yeah. did what you were told all to, you do. Have to do is not quit exactly yeah. whereas there you know in combat it's all on you yeah. you got to get it you got to get it right you got to do it right so yeah that was pretty pretty amazing for me and and again i'm i'm grateful for that opportunity it was a once you know once in a lifetime i mean timing opportunity all lined yeah. up for me you know i pissed a lot of people off though as a result because i did not like what we were doing i did not like how we were doing it i i just i i I didn't believe in the um, entrenched mindset after that. Yeah. Like I felt like we need to be doing it better. Yeah. So you spent 14 months there. You come back and you kick over the fucking hornet's nest. <laughs> uh, yeah, I jumped. I, I mean, I jumped. I, 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 I mean, I was just constantly deployed. Yeah. I came back and got into my new platoon. Uh, well, I came back with that platoon. I stayed in that platoon. Because back then, w- things were different. You know, like you stayed with your platoon. Yeah. For, for a while, you know, yeah. a long while. And you would just, until you either made rank or you transferred out, you know, those are usually the only reasons why you left the platoon. Um, and those guys, man, my, my first platoon, they, they certainly were responsible for establishing me as a frogman. And then the second, third and fourth platoon, those were, those were the, yeah. just, you know, that's the business. And, and then I did a fifth platoon after that. Um, so, I mean, it was awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, I think back to those times and, and what I learned down there, just amazing. Uh, you know, we did do, we worked a lot in that AO for, you know, back then. It's so funny. You ever seen that movie American Made with Tom yeah. Cruise? All right. So that was me deployed. No shit. That time period. I, I mean, I'm sitting there with my sons and I'm talking, I'm laughing my ass. I'm like, holy shit, dude, I can tell you exactly where all this was happening. Yeah. I can tell you all of this stuff. I yeah. remember this shit going down. Yeah. So... I mean, it was rare. It was cool, and we 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 got in a lot of trouble. So you know, <laughs> a frogman, cocaine, and bags of money—I can't even imagine. <laughs> can't even imagine what, how that could possibly go wrong. Uh, you know, it's like it's like you're just you know you're you're just you're chomping at the bit. Yeah. You can see it; it's right there. Just let me go. Just yeah. cut. Just, just well. So yeah, what was there? I mean, obviously, like you know, Iraq and Afghanistan, the the ROE challenges that present themselves the rules of engagement of, of our government hamstringing us and tying our hands is, is ever present was there a lot of that back then down there too or was mm-hmm. it because I, I remember i remember working. yeah i mean maybe not as bad like when i was in afghanistan it's, that's a funny story another story but yeah so i remember when we were getting ready i mean we we're like t minus two hours and we get the command we i mean we get the orders no HE on target. Like, That's what? high explosive for, <laughs> for those of you out there. Yeah, it's like you just, I, I mean, we're a small unit. We rely so much on that big ass bark. Mm-hmm. You know, like I fucking love me uh, uh, an M79. Give me an M79 and I will fucking lay down some hate and discontent. Yeah. No HE. That's a grenade launcher for all <laughs> you other assholes that need to choke yourself for not knowing it. <laughs> you know, we had, we, you know, back then we also had law rockets. No, none of that. Couldn't yeah. take any of that shit. And, um, I mean, the, the, the concern was collateral damage. Yeah. Man, I, I was not happy with that. Yeah. Not happy at all. From kind of a broad spectrum uh, standpoint, what I'm curious of is having been through all that and, and uh, you know, Panama was a pretty, pretty sobering experience, I think, okay. for the country. Um, what I'm curious, uh, you know, in terms of big picture looking back on it, like, do you feel like 
the difference that you made was was worth the sacrifice uh, in terms of of helping those governments you know long term or long game wise I, I would say yes like here's my here's my thought process i was during the early years of, of being a frogman i was more of an isolationist mm-hmm. like like fuck these people yeah they don't they don't value their own freedom fuck them yeah and that was a very naive thought process because once I started getting into these countries and start seeing what was, what was it like? Yeah. A lot of them wanted it, but you don't really understand oppression until you can see it firsthand. Yeah. You don't understand what it's like to live in that type of environment. Like people hear that fucking talk about that shit. Like yeah. y- y- I hear somebody talking about socialism and I just want, I can't even see straight because yeah. I, they, they've never seen, they've never lived it. Yeah. They're talking about something that they read in a textbook. Yeah. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah. So when I see, when you see that level of oppression and you realize that those people are truly powerless, there's nothing they can do, that fucking pisses me off. Yeah. And so, yeah, my, my philosophy changed significantly. Yeah. I had an experience in Afghanistan that was another watershed moment. And I, and I like to talk about it because it's important that the American people hear this, which is the benefits that we were bringing to that country. Mm-hmm. When I first got on the ground, it wasn't much longer after they had opened the embassy and it was wild, wild west. And I would deploy and then return home, deploy and then return home, deploy and return home. And I started to pick up on patterns during my deployments. First time we were there, we didn't see a single female outside of our compound. Never saw anybody on the streets. I was wondering, do they exist? (laughs) I mean, seriously, you know, a couple deployments later, we start seeing them moving in hordes. You know, the, you have to, if you understand Sharia law, you understand the the regulations that they have to live by. So we started seeing them in hordes, a couple more or another deployment. And I see them moving in individual or one and two, you know, maybe twos. And then my last deployment, I saw, well, and, and at that point when I saw them moving in ones and twos, they, they were only wearing the headscarf. They, they weren't wearing the full-on burqa. Mm-hmm. And then the last deployment, I actually saw a woman dressed in Western clothing, like oh, a business shit. suit, yeah, wow. walking in public. And people, like your expression right there, people don't get that. Yeah. They don't understand the significance of what yeah. that means. So yeah. I, was, I was asked to give a speech at a, um, like a Rotary Club annual meeting. And I, I was, I was going to be, I was going to be providing my observations. And then there was another speaker that was going to contest or whatever. I don't know. She was whatever. And I went first. So I, I, I'm like, Hey, listen, I'm, I can't talk to you about public policy. I can't talk to you about why we're doing this, why we're not doing that. I, I'm, that's not my place. But what I'm here to tell you is my, I'm here to share with you my observations. And I gave them that timeline. I walked them through there and I tried to give them to understand the significance of that. And I try to tell them that people were afraid to come and talk to us because we had the classic stir the pot and then leave. Mm-hmm. You know, we would get in there, we'd stir the pot and give them all excited to be, you know, and then freedom and then we bail on them. Yeah. Exactly. It's like it was our pattern during that period. You know, through the through the Clinton years, it was yeah. horrible. Yeah, so, Kuwait and the Kurds. Man, yeah, fucking exactly. Sold them, sold same them down the fucking river. thing. We had the same kind of foreign policy going on then. Yeah. And so when I saw that, I was like, and I, not that we had the same foreign policy, but I was afraid that we were going to do the exact same thing yeah. there in Afghanistan. Well, and, and that was their, they were expecting or anticipating. It, it absolutely yeah. was. Yeah. Because unfortunately, despite all of our good nature, 
our reputation precedes us yeah. in that case. And yeah. so they knew that. And plus, they're also scared. I mean, yeah. they legitimately, those people, the fucking, I mean, the Taliban were ruthless. Yeah. Well, that and, and I mean, the, the last time a, a mass influx of white people showed up, it was the Russians. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's and, true. And they were fucking brutal by, you know, they, yeah, they that didn't was, have rules of engagement. Yeah, so. that's true. But, so the, the funny thing was, I get done with giving them my speech, and there's just like, I mean, the room is just, it's different. Yeah. Like it, it, like all of a sudden people get it. They're like, okay, because what I was trying to express to them was, and, and when I left, one of the last deployments I did was during the actual, the, the elections where women were first allowed to vote yeah. in their, in their presidency. Mm -hmm. That was the first time that they were allowed to do that. And it was a big thing. Like they had the stamp that would go on their thumb to yeah. show that they could vote. And that would like, everybody was walking around kind of giving you a thumbs up, yeah. but they were showing you that they voted. Yeah. It's not like, hey, good job, America. They were saying, hey, fuck, look, I voted, yeah. you know? And so that was a big thing. And I don't think people understand that. Yeah. And so it was my, my purpose was to share with them the importance behind that and the importance of seeing the job through. Yeah. You know, if we're going to do something, we got to finish it. Yeah. So then that lady comes up. And like, so I was like, people were, people weren't asking me questions. They were just, just saying nice things, mm -hmm. which I, which I appreciate. But then this, this lady kept just, sharpshooting me just sharpshooting me and i mean i was getting pissed at a certain point i'm just like getting a little pissed off at her and i finally broke it down i'm like ma'am if there was a way that you and i could telegraph to the stadium that i first walked into when i got on the ground that still had the blood stains on the ground from the stonings that had just occurred before i got here do you know what would happen to you do you have any idea the, the moment i walk away from you guess what's going to happen to you you're going to be stoned and it's not a pretty death. It's not a pretty death. If you've seen any of those. That's not fucking quick either. No, it's not. That's the thing. It's, it's fucking brutal. Yeah. It's, and so, and do you know why? The only reason why is because you are speaking to me. So cherish the fact that you and I can have this argument and that you have a different opinion of mine, but never forget. She was arguing for or against what we were, not, not against, but she was just being a total bitch, basically. But what I later found out, she was the opposing view that was going to come up on stage after I was done. Mm -hmm. But in the process of this discussion, this dialogue, the host said, you're done. There's the door. Yeah, no See sure. ya. Yeah. You know, so I didn't know that that's who she was. She was just sitting in the front row. Yeah. The entire time I'm sitting there, she's scowling at me, just yeah. scowling like, yeah. you fucking, you bastard or whatever. So Jesus. I know. Yeah. Funny. Thought, thought maybe you ran into her shit face the night before, maybe, huh? <laughs> Why are you so pissed? Well, uh, well in my younger thing. years. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, uh, all right. So what I'm curious of, what was, what was the timeline like from the, the time you stepped foot and you didn't even see him to that last, what, what was the number of years? Oh my God. Uh, like Oh seven, Oh nine. Oh shit. That fast. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that, you know, to dovetail onto what you're, you're, talking about is that you know when you hear that kind of the first world problems complaining <laughs> i mean not even just like the the inconveniences of having to wait you know for uh, you know the three other fat asses in front of you in mcdonald's to to get out of your way but but the when you hear terms like uh, oppression like you know we're oh, being Jesus. oppressed or this is bullshit you know and, and you're just like you know 
to no fault of their own. I mean, the, the people who, who live here that have grown up here, and, and I'll, I'll use the term, have been sheltered. Yeah. Uh, you know, no fault of their own, but but don't have that perspective of, of seeing how the way that most of the rest of the fucking world operates and realizing how goddamn good you have it here like it, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, I routinely find myself finding trying to find blood pressure medication that I don't have. <laughs> Uh, you know, to, to try to fucking throttle it back a little bit and not lose my goddamn mind. But I mean, it's like, I, I'm not going to say, first of all, and I tell people this all the time, we are not perfect. America is not perfect. But I will tell you what we do is that we put forth the effort. Yeah. Right. And we are a beacon of freedom throughout the world. It's, mm-hmm. it, I, I, don't, I don't care. Like, you don't have an opinion unless you have actually seen what I've seen. Yeah. Your opinion, you, oh, let me take that back. You have an opinion. You have an ill-informed opinion, and you cannot get in a conversation with me with that ill-informed opinion. Travel the world, see it, see what I've seen, yeah. live where I've lived in that sense, and then have an informed opinion that you and I can talk about yeah. things. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know there, there's a lack of, of balance and perspective with, with most people. Fuck. And, and the irony of it is is that it's, it's generally the squeakiest fucking wheel that has the, the most imbalanced of, of opinions, you know. But, <laughs> but, uh, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other story, but yes, yeah, yeah. I agree with you there. Yeah. Um, all right, so you spent, uh, so you came in in '87. Uh, you did how many years at SEAL Team Four? Uh, just under, just under ten. Yeah. Like I, I had to extend to get my full three-year tour of buds. Yeah, and then so, all right, so the last three years, so you're in thirteen years or so. 14, yeah, just a little bit over. It's about twelve and a half. Yeah. Uh, so the last three, I mean, just like me, I mean, pretty much almost verbatim is, you know, the last did I did tw- you know just under twelve or just over twelve and last three years was uh was as an instructor tell me about your time there because you were all you i think you showed up just after i graduated i mean you were almost an instructor yeah opinion. um so i got there in 96 i got to buds in 96 and oh. i finished in 99 oh well shit you you were there when i was yeah there. i was gonna say 215 i yeah. remember 215 yeah. all right yeah. i don't know why i'm well where were you at during uh, i was in third phase oh, Lane Warfare. Mm-hmm. God yep. damn. Yeah, but uh we we ran blue and gold. So okay. you might not have been you, you might have been there when uh uh like and I I mean there's a lot of guys that have I, that I put through training uh that I I know and talk to still to this day. But you know, I'll tell you the funny thing about it is that we um I I went to I, I went to Buds because I had a teammate who was going through a really shitty deal. And it's a real shitty family thing and the worst that you can possibly imagine with kids. And they were going to, they were, they basically said that you can go unaccompanied. And I thought that was a shitty deal. So, you know, I, I was, I, my, my ex-wife at the time was my girlfriend. And so, you know, I figured, well, we don't really have any roots. We don't really have anything. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll do this. I'll go ahead and take these orders. Um, so that was a whole other ordeal. I mean, trust trying to volunteer to take those orders was a pain in the ass. It wasn't easy. They didn't make it easy. I had to go all the way up to DC and talk to the detailer. Jesus. Yeah, I know. So I went out there and I kind of was not like, I wasn't excited about going out there to be honest. And we had a, we had a master chief, Steve Russell, Vietnam era frogman. Great dude. I mean, I, I learned so much from that man and I'm checking out and I'm leaving uh, and go through training. He checks me out in the training department, and I pass him my, you know, my checkout sheet. And he looks at it and he's like, "Where are you going? I'm going, I'm going to buzz." I'm like, oh, "Fuck, I'm going to be a buzz instructor." It's like, "What's wrong with that?" I'm like, "Man, I don't want to be a buzz instructor. I want to, I want to fucking be a trigger puller. You know, that's what I was designed for. That's what I was built for." 
And he, he flat out got pissed. Yeah. I remember he was sitting at his desk, pushes himself <laughs> back from the desk. And he's like, listen, you earned all of that experience. You have an obligation to share that. That is your duty to share that information. And I was like, Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Master Chief. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it changed my perspective. Yeah. And I went out there, I went out there, no shit. With Tune, tuned right the fuck up via the Master Chief. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a chip on my shoulder. I, I was like, you know, like every, every Buds instructor, I'm sure you were the same way. I'm like, yeah. get rid of every one of those motherfuckers, yeah. everybody. And I was slowly indoctrinated into how it really works there. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it, and, and, and my lesson learned, all right? Another great man that I learned a lot from, a guy, a Master Chief, Andy Tafelsky. He, um, paperwork was a secret. You had to document everything. And so when somebody didn't belong, the, I, I couldn't just use my, my, I had to have documentation to back yeah. that up. And I would, I'd, people, people were afraid of that. I mean, like, if I didn't, like, people ask me, do you remember me from BUDS? When they, you know, as a BUDS instructor? And I go, there's only two ways that I would remember you. Either you were a badass performer or you were a shitbag I was trying to get rid of. <laughs> yeah. Which one were you? Yeah. Yeah. If you weren't, you're were a gray man, and that's fine too. <laughs> that's good too, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so anyhow, um, there was this one guy, and I remember he, he was he was bad. And um, I had documentation. I took it up. They didn't want it. They didn't want to kick him out. And I got pissed. And uh, I remember I, I, I was out of line, fucking way out of line. I was yelling and screaming, this fucking piece of shit does not belong here. We're gonna, he's going to fucking kill somebody in the teams. And, you know, the whole, you know, that whole litany yeah. that we all go through, yeah. right? And um, Andy comes in, and he puts his hand on my shoulder, and, and I, I can just feel that, that, that hand. And I remember I look over my shoulder, and I see him. He's a tall guy. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, and I, and I remember I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and he's like, meet me out back. <laughs> we're about to fucking straighten this out he's like go get your pt gear on and meet me out back <laughs> so so i get my pt gear on and we, we end up going for a run yeah and we went for a long run and uh we circle up down way down there by ib down there by the dinosaur cages and and he's like listen you're out of line and, and I was like, I know, I, I, I was out of line. You're like, we could have drove down here. And you, could have <laughs> you could have just pulled me into your yeah, office, Master yeah. Chief. That means yeah. we didn't have to run. Like, yeah. you didn't have to burn I, I, me down. I would have got my running shoes on. We could have just headed down the steps. <laughs> you could have told me at the bottom of them. <laughs> so he's like, you were in the wrong. Yeah. Your attention is precious. Hold in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the benefit of Blue. Learn more at BenefitOfBlueSC.com. You were, um, that was completely inappropriate. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know you're right. It, yeah. it was. I'm just pissed because this guy doesn't belong. He's like, well, I get that. I understand. I mean, uh, you know, we're all here. We're all here on the same team, same mission. Yeah. But there's also there's also other factors in play here. And I was like, I, you know, I, I don't care about those. He's like, you better, you better care about those factors because those factors affect you. And um, you know, he kind of talked me down off the ledge in a sense, and. Um, I remember he just the, the advice that he was giving me was just like it's like oh 
yeah. down from the mountain, you know? And I was like, right on. Okay. I'm down with that. You know? And you know, to, like the, 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 the takeaway that I had from that was number one, you know, I, I was out of line, but in, in our community, it's not uncommon to see that kind of yeah, relationship. Not fucking Boy Scouts. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I went back and I apologized to, to CB and, uh, I told him, you know, Hey, I, I, I was out of line. I was inappropriate. Um, I just believe this guy doesn't belong here and I'm yeah. willing to do pretty much anything to get, get him the fuck out, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> including, you know, jumping on your desk and fucking yelling down your throat, you know? Yeah. So, um, but I'm I realized gonna, I'm I can't. sprinkle cocaine in his frosted flakes. There'll <laughs> real, be real frosted flakes here. But I, I realized I can't do that, you know? So Andy, Andy gave me the advice. He gave me, there's always another way. Yeah. When, when one door closes, there's another door. Find the other door. Yeah. And, and, and eventually I did. I found the other door and, uh, you know, I, I I did eventually get rid of that guy. Yeah, and um, I remember seeing CB in the locker room, and he was pissed. He's like, I, I thought we were going to go to blows. I really mm-hmm. did. Like I thought he's so mad at me because I kind of like I didn't circumvent him, but I just brought a bigger hammer to the table. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I was like, Are we good? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, He's like, I don't want to see you in my office yeah. for six months. <laughs> and I'm like, right But there's that. this other guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, have three other folders, yeah, yeah. CB. Just, just real quick, I'll just slide them under your door then. <laughs> so it was like it, it, I was like Roger that. Yeah, good to go. God damn. <laughs> you know, one of the things that um, I, you know, I'll, I'll be forever grateful to to have that experience. You know, as an instructor, and the circumstances in which I uh, went there were were very different. Uh, it was you know basically for medical reasons. Oh, okay. I, I got a, a fucking lung disease called Valley Fever and ended up needing to go there basically because wow. it was the only place that uh, that didn't have a wide swath of lung irritants that were going to fuck my lungs up. And I, I lost a big percentage of my lung capacity anyway. So it, it's similar in that like I, I wasn't really expecting to go there or, or hadn't planned on going right. there and, and found myself there and, and had mixed feelings on, on yeah. being there as well. Um, you know, cause I had, I had kind of wanted to stay uh, and, and go a different route also, but you know, it was what it was. And the one thing that, that I think is tough for an instructor, for any of us as instructors, having been there is, is that gatekeeper mentality yeah. and, and being able to keep it in check. I, obviously like it's, it, it's very well intentioned, but the, the road to hell is paved in good intentions, you know? So th- there's an element of like being realistic about about it but also you know hard but fair and and you know but you know i think anybody that's been to combat and has lost brothers and whatever like you're looking at this crop of assholes that wants to be you and it's like motherfucker you're not just going to earn it you are going to earn it Mm. you know like every goddamn day every step you take and and you know to its credit, though, that mentality is why the, the SEAL teams has the reputation and the, and the success that it's had is, is because that standard has not fucking wavered. I, I agree you 100% know, um, there. You but, know. It, but it's tough sometimes. I, I mean, you, you have to walk a fine line. Yeah. And I pissed a lot of people off. Yeah. I mean, I, I said that in the beginning, but I, I do. I, I piss a lot of people off. That's, um, why we, that's why we're so tight, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right there with you. You know, I... Um, I have a hard time going with the flow at times and I have a hard time of keeping my, my mouth shut. And, yeah. and I, you would think that at this point in my life that I would learn that. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you don't have it by now. Yeah. I don't think it's going <laughs> to, I don't think it's going to work, but um, I've, I've gotten wiser. I suppose I, I've figured out there are certain things that, you know, there's certain battles that you, you got to pick your battles and yeah. you, you know, like in my opinion, those battles were worth fighting. Yeah. And um, the, the takeaway for me, I, I look back at my tour and I'm proud of 
the crop of frogmen that were under my charge. I mean, yeah. sitting across the table from you right now, the success that you had in the community, the success you have right now, I'm very proud of that. The crops. I mean, there and, and I mean, there's so many guys that are out there. I mean, guys that I'm just I, I watch them right now, and they're successful both both in the Navy and out of the Navy. And um, you know, I, I'm not naive enough to say that I I created that. But I was a part of that. You yeah. know, there was a, there's a DNA stamp somehow, as no matter how small it is, it's a, it's there for that. And so when I look back, and I and I fall back to you know, uh, Master Chief Russell's comments. You know, it's your duty. Yeah. And, and you know, and we're so big on that. You know, duty is what binds us. Yeah. And so, I'm grateful for that opportunity. Like I had I had mixed emotions about going there. Um, I remember. <laughs> I walk in there, and uh, the first master chief that was there was uh, Denny Chalker, yeah. who um, another fucking legend in the community. And I remember I, I'm I'm there, and I'm I'm just, dude, I'm still I'm still a meat eater, I'm still a trigger puller, and I'm just I'm like looking for a fight everywhere. You know, it's like you know, yeah. and he's like, you need to go to college. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, fuck that, I'm not going to college. Yeah, <laughs> not a fucking o. Yeah. So Denny was like, uh, you're going to college, or I will make your life hell here. Yeah. And I'm like, fine, I'll go to college. <laughs> Fuck, you know, kicking the desk as I walk out of the office. Fine, I'll go to college, you know. Yeah. Um, so I did. I went to college, and I was grateful for that because I, I, my, my success in my post-Navy days as, a, as an instructor. So not only do I have professional instructor duties, but I have an education in adult learning and curriculum development. So, I mean, that's led to our, my success here. So I'm, I look back at those times, uh, those years that I spent there, and... I mean, they were, they were not roses by any stretch of the imagination, but I really dug it. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like, like every frogman, I shouldn't say this, most frogmen feel the most frogman-ish when they're at the tip of the spear. Yeah. And, and rightfully so. But there's still something to be said about the, the continued development of those frogmen that will be at the tip of the spear yeah. and, and the importance behind the schooling that goes into that. And I, I'm very proud of the fact that it's a forging process. We reference it as, you know, you talk to everybody, it's a forging process mm-hmm. because you start with this lump of steel and you beat it. Yeah. You literally beat it into. I think it's more like a sack of cottage cheese. Than that, there's that too. I saw plenty of those. <laughs> I saw plenty of those. Somebody asked me this the other day. It's like, were you good at being able to tell who's going to make it and who's not? Uh, I'm like, eh, not, you know, not right away, but after a while, yeah, you yeah. can tell. Yeah. And it's one of those, it's one of those pieces of, of wisdom that I've given to my sons. It's like, you cannot, if you, if you, if you were a Bud student, you came to Bud's because you had this external motivator that you wanted to be able to say that you were a SEAL. You wanted to be able to impress the girls. You want to be able to later go off and write a move, a book, or be in a movie. You are in the wrong place, especially under my watch. Yeah. I would find you, and I would I would make you quit. Yeah. But those that had the internal motivation to be there for the right reasons, and the, what are those? It's going to be different for everybody. But I, I was telling my oldest, I'm like, listen, you're gonna in your life at some point, you're going to be you're going to be wet, you're going to be cold, you're going to be sandy, you're going to have no sleep, and it's a volunteer program. You don't have to be there. You don't have to do any of that shit. Yeah. But when you are in those conditions when it is so fucking cold and you are just so tired and every 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 part of your body hurts in some case, all you have to do is say I quit. Yeah. And and it's done. The pain goes away. Mm-hmm. Right? And as the 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 lesson is that in life, if that that's as easy as it is. 
right? And some, some people, like I think Marcus says it the best, like just don't quit, yeah. right? Um, so I try to tell, I try to pass that wisdom on to my sons that if all you have is external motivation to do something, when the times get tough, you will take the easy road. Yeah. And in some cases, that easy road is quitting. Yeah, yeah I know there's a, there's a truckload of good life lessons from there, both as a student and an instructor. Oh, One thing yeah. I just want to uh, reiterate before uh, we move on to this next step is um, in reference to, you know, the the crop that came out, you know, while while your, I, yeah. I would call your generation yeah. of, of instructors was there. Um, or were there, uh, you know, obviously I, I don't, or we don't, uh, and the generation that I come from don't have anything to reference it towards, but unquestionably like the, the ability that you guys had as a, as a, as a cadre there during that period. And, and the, and the guys that, that went through, you know, at, at the same time that I did, like, I, I cannot imagine a, a better guard, you know, to, to have, I mean, that the, all, all of the instructors that I had, I mean, like you talk about, guys that you wanted to fucking emulate um like it was it was at the top of the fucking mountain i mean just every yeah. one of them it was just like holy fucking shit i want to be like this guy you know I, and, I, and it has to be that way it does like i can remember it really hit home with me when um when we buried when we buried chris mm -hmm. and we were at um chris's gravesite and like all these frogmen that were there and i i put so i mean so many of those guys i put through training yeah and to see their accolades, to see their successes, and to share in, in the pain and the suffering of, of losing one of our own like that, that was probably one of my, yeah. I would say, greatest moments. Yeah. Yeah, I know for me, on the, on the flip side of that, the, the toughest moment I ever had was when uh, the, the first student that was, uh, you know, during the time that I was there was killed oh. and going to that funeral. Uh, I mean, it was, it, I mean, to this day, like, there was a... There was a site, say hello to heaven. It was Mike Monsori. He was, you know, yeah. um, obviously the circumstances with which he was killed were, were pretty uh, significant um, in their own right. But, uh, but to go to that funeral, like t to me, that was harder than, because at that point I'd lost, you know, a, a number of friends, you know, teammates, you know, comrades in arms. And, but to me, that, that was even harder, mm. um, you know, be, because it was, um, because it was a student, you know, it was, it was somebody that was, you, you know, knew. the torch was being passed to. And, and I mean, to this day, like when say hello to heaven comes on, cause it was, uh, <laughs> you know, from uh, temple of the dog, Chris yeah. Cornell, you know, saying it, um, when anytime that song comes on, like no matter what I'm doing and driving, you know, whatever, like yeah. I immediately go back to that funeral and, and it, like, I can't, I really can't even listen to the fucking song here <laughs> I, you know, I, 12 I can, years I later. I can sympathize with uh, that for you sure. Know, but, but anyway, um, yeah, it's just, uh, it, it's a tough, tough element and, and the full circled nature of instructor and student and, and passing of the torch and that is, is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. But, um, all right. So you got out, uh, in what, what time period? 99. 99. So, what I'm curious of is, you know, obviously you had a lot of fucking combat experience and, and harrowing experience. What what kind of impact did being out when 9-11 have on you? Horrible, first of all. Um, so what was shitty for me was uh, we got to, you got to, you got to kind of put yourself back in that time period. And June of 1999 was my end of obligated service, my EOS. And I had requested to extend until the end of the year. Because at that point, we were in the run-up election, the next presidential elections. And um, they wouldn't extend me. I was pissed. You know, I was like, well, I, I, I came in under Reagan. I'm sorry. Yeah, I came in under Reagan. 
I worked for first Bush, then I worked for second, or then I worked for you know two tours with Clinton, which were awesome. <laughs> it was horrible. I mean, I, I tell people it's like I was ashamed yeah. to go overseas, and 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 I was. That's how bad it was. You know, you you went through this time period, and then you see that period, and it was just it was shameful. Yeah. My ex-wife at the time, my girlfriend was was pregnant with my first son, and uh, the Navy wouldn't extend me. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to run the risk of having to live through eight years of gore. Yeah. My entire military career with presidents that were, in my opinion, not leaders. Mm-hmm. So I decided to leave. You know, I, I decided to cut away. And I, I use the. Um, I use the, the adage of you know when Christopher Columbus came to America, he burned the boats. There's no going back. Yeah. So when I left the Navy, that's, that's how, that, that was my mindset. I'm like, I'm not coming back. And I did change my mind. <laughs> so uh, 9-11 happened, and uh, I put in paperwork. And just as luck would have it, my paperwork, uh, like I wasn't the only one. No. I mean, there was a shit ton of dudes that were doing the same thing. So my package got lost in all the craziness. And I never heard back from them. I just thought, oh. The fuckers don't want me. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, the hell with it. I'm going on, on my own thing. And and at the, about that time, Tricon was really kicking off. Yeah. About a year after that, I got in touch with a detailer that had that was there, and I asked him. I was like, Hey, man, I, I just got to ask for my own, for myself. Wh- I mean, what happened? Why didn't Why did my package? You know, what What, what did I do wrong? I mean, did I piss somebody? Because I, I, I mean, I knew I pissed a lot of people yeah. off, so I was figuring, oh man, they yeah. don't want me to come back in because you know, fucking, here comes that guy. Well, he's like, you put a package in? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so he went back, and to his credit, he found my package, and and it had been shuffled into the you know, just the wrong place, and never was seen by the right people and he calls me up like three days after that conversation calls me up he's like hey i found your package and we're we're good to go i mean this is a no-brainer and i was like dude man that that ship has sailed for me you know like i mean i I hate this i know that it was a mistake but i'm committed in, in this side you know like it's been too long and i've committed myself on this this new path that i'm on can just pull chocks and go so that pretty much was the um was the you know the end of my military career and i mean i they've teased me since then a couple of guys that i know teased me with the reserve side and i'm I'm, i I mean anything i can do to support the country of course i will but i was put off by it you know put off by that episode and how that went down i know it was an accident but still just kind of pissed me off and i just went i I went on my own and i kind of did my own thing so tricon started like uh, unofficially it started in 99 like literally i mean i started working literally at 2000 like the end of 99 2000 i started and uh we incorporated in 2003 yeah so um was the uh what i'm curious of in terms of your shooting um capabilities and, and competency in the seal teams you know would you consider yourself a good shot when you came in like you did, did you do a lot of shooting growing up did did all the the skills you acquired during the seal teams lead you into that because for, for me just from my my perspective like you know my, my opinion of of the skills that i acquired as a, as a seal shooting 
frankly weren't that fantastic i mean like they weren't i mean they're way better than your average asshole but like yeah i know what you mean to 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 think of me getting out and like starting a fucking shooting school like i I probably wouldn't you know um what what kind of shaped that so you know in my formative years as a young young teenager you know i was on the national pentathlon team so i got to learn shooting there i i learned shooting in the boy scouts i learned shooting from family members and family friends we went out shooting a lot uh, I didn't consider myself to be like, I, I later found out that I wasn't really a competent shooter, um, even though I did well in those types of scenarios. Um, I did, once I got to the Navy, once I got through some, some initial train-ups, I became a very good shot. I, you know, I would usually always outshoot everybody in the platoon. And I had, I had a couple of platoons that, in, in all honesty, we were always, always at each other to be the best yeah. shooters. And that probably right there, those three platoons, those guys in that platoon, yeah. Because, I mean, and that was back in the day when literally, um, and, you know, back in Virginia Beach, there used to be this place called A&P Arms, which was an indoor facility. And the NSW had a contract with them. This was before we had our own indoor range on, on Little Creek. And we had a contract with them. We'd just go whenever we wanted and shoot for as long as we wanted. I mean, we, we would do our, like, before we'd go down to Shaw's, we'd do like a week there. And then we'd go to Shaw's. And you just go to the armory and just get cans of ammo. Just go, just do your thing, you know, just shoot. And I remember I did that a lot. Yeah. And my roommates, we all shot hard. I mean, we, all of my, at that point in my, my frogman career, I was surrounded by guys that were also at the top of their game. Yeah. And not everybody was as good of a shot, but there was this group of us that were really good shots, and we were always pushing each other to be better. And there was always the, you know, it's like anything. You know, you get two frogmen in a room, what do you got? Yeah. You got a race. Yeah. No matter what. Sword fight. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. So um, that right there is one of the things that I attribute to being one of our strengths, yeah. is that there is this never-ending competitiveness with us. Yeah. Oh, to a fault, to a fault in, in some, some cases. ways. But. Uh, absolutely. Like I tell people, like, you know, even within the own, your own team, right? Yeah. Your own team, one platoon is better than the other platoon. Yeah. Oh, fuck you. We'll smoke you guys. Mm-hmm. Just bring it. We'll, we'll, dude, whatever. You know, and then team to team, yeah. you know, and then coast to coast. Yeah. And even outside within the services, you know, like between us and, uh, you know. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, there's yeah. that. And, and a lot of people get butthurt about that. But I will tell you right now, it's what makes us so good. Yeah. The, that competitive drive to be as good as you can, to outperform the guy next to you, mm-hmm. to, to, that is what is so unique and rare. Yeah. And when you put it at such an elite level, like with the special operations community, it's, it's impressive to watch. Yeah. So that was kind of like my shooting career right there. And I shot very well. I, I mean, it, it, was, it was fun. I enjoyed that. And whether it was pistol, rifle, whatever the case might be, I did really good in that sense. Yeah. When I left the Navy and I started in the private sector, I shot, I mean, I, I, I've always shot well and I always can, I consider myself to be a good shot, but it's not how good of a shot I am. It's how good of a shot I can make you. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 and I tell people that I'm like, you, Hey, you'd have your work cut out for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I tell people that I'm like, Hey, it's good to be impressed by somebody's YouTube video about watching yeah. them do that. The question is, can they get you to do that? Yeah. It's not, so if, if they can't get you to do that, then who the fuck cares? Yeah. You know, that's nothing. It's, yeah. it's, it's irrelevant. Yeah. So I put a lot more credit in the, in the ability to teach somebody to shoot as well, or not as well as me, but 
on the pathway to being as well as me, as good yeah. as me. And I am grateful because we have produced some amazing, just, I mean, straight up gunfighters. Yeah. And, um, you know, there are several of them that are out there and the, these guys are straight, they're lethal. I mean, yeah. like if you're going to get in a gunfight with them, you are going to lose. Yeah. One of the things that I, I thought was pretty fucking cool and I can relate on the, on the dog side that we were talking about earlier is, so of all the courses, I mean, because you've been running courses now for what fifteen years, yeah. um, and so you've put thousands of fucking people through mm-hmm. shooting courses, and it's obviously not just law enforcement, military. Like, would you say it's fifty-fifty civilian law enforcement? Um, originally, we were so heavy on the government side. Originally, yeah. the government was just eating us up. I mean, yeah. we trained just about every organization that's in the federal government, and then there was the military side as well. We did a lot of work. I was very proud of the work I did within NSW as well, yeah. um, and other branches and whatnot so that what i realized was like i had the same mentality that i had as a buds instructor i need to make all these guys i need to increase their lethality that's that's my job i need to increase their lethality on the battlefield i i changed my my perspective a little bit probably uh right around the time i was getting back from afghanistan and we're starting to do a lot more private sector stuff um, the reason why I changed my perspective was that there was more, like I was looking at it from a business model. There mm. were more of them than there were the special operations community. Yeah, so, by a thousand to yeah, one. Exactly. So yeah. from a business model, I changed that. And I'm glad that I did. I really am. Because I also, about that time, I started to really have a new sense of national security. And mm. we talked a little bit about this earlier. I hinted at it a little bit earlier, which is... Um, for me, one of the reasons why I continue to do what I do is to improve our national security. Yeah. Um, the more competent armed citizens we have, the better we will be as a nation. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just fact. Yeah. I mean, the, these little things that we're dealing with, I think, will go away. You know, I, I think it was uh, Admiral Yamamoto who said it the best, which when they were talking about invading mainland America, dumbass move. Yeah. Because behind every blade of grass is a rifleman, yeah. and and I subscribe to that. Even if they're, you know, it doesn't have to be a rifle, but just an armed citizen. You know, yeah. and that that really will reshape our future in a good way. Yeah. So I kind of consider it my lot in life to to send that message. That's what that's my primary purpose these days is to is to bring as many people in the fold and educate them. Yeah. And I and I look at myself more as an educator these days than a, than a trainer. I need to educate the public at large and let them. Let them come to their own decisions, yeah. but make those decisions based on inform, you know, on information. Make informed decisions. Yeah, and so uh, it's made a, a significant shift from police, military, law enforcement, et cetera, uh, to civilian. Yeah. Um, would you say it's it's predominantly civilian at this point? At this point, yeah. I would say like I'm, I'm I, I never turn down work with, for for some of my government agencies just because you know we've been such longstanding customers with these yeah. guys. They'll call me up and I'll say, yeah, we'll make it happen. Yeah. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. But at this point, I would say it's like 20 to 25%. Yeah. We're at, we're at in our heyday, 75 to 80 percent was military law enforcement yeah, yeah. To, to me what was cool though is uh the fact that you've had you know a number of students civilian students that are just concealed weapons holders that have been through your courses that have used their their firearms to defend yeah. themselves and, and been in shootings and 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 not just got involved in it but actually used the training that you've provided to to save their fucking life it, it's it's probably i mean I, I i'm not gonna lie some of those conversations were hard mm-hmm. because they're emotional yeah you know these people are coming and i'm not saying it's hard for them it's hard for me yeah because i'm i'm having to take in this information and, and they're they're saying on on the other end of the phone i've, I've only had one in-person conversation most of them have all been over the phone and what they're saying is that and it's hard to kind of be saddled with. This is why the responsibility, this is why I tell people, new instructors that come in, I'm like, hey, listen, you better be willing to give your very best because that person is trusting you to, to be able to get the job done. Yeah. And when it comes time, when it's go time for them, you have better have done the very best that you possibly can because yeah. their life depends on it. Yeah, I mean, the information you're giving them, they're, yeah. they're going to use to depend on I'm them. like, if you're, not, if you're not willing to be saddled with that responsibility, then don't fucking do it. Yeah. Don't, don't do it because you want some sort of accolades or you want, it's again, that external motivation. You have to be driven per, by, by that internal motivation. So when I'm talking to these guys on the phone, it is, it's emotional. And um, a lot of times it's like, you know, I, I feel like I owe you... Um, like a debt of gratitude. What I learned in the class, I feel like saved my life, saved my family's life. Yeah. And it's humbling. It's difficult in some cases. And I'm, I'm just grateful that, number one, they survived, they're alive, and, and I'm grateful they were willing to share that. I mean, I'm sure, I, I, I would imagine there's probably a handful of folks that just haven't bothered to call me or talk to me about it yeah. and, and let me know that, hey, something that they learned in class um, was was a defining moment in an altercation that yeah. made a difference. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I'm I'm thrilled to talk to them. Uh, I I consider that to be one of the greatest responsibilities that I have is is knowing that the information I'm going to pass on could or could not save somebody's life. Yeah, to me, that's one of the most rewarding too. I'm assuming yeah. because I know for me that there's really no better feeling than when you know a department you know calls me up or i get a text from the handler that says you know hey the dog that you trained and sold right? us and whatever you know exactly. nine, nine months after the fact at a 
you know, a mile and a half track through a fucking swamp and, Jesus. and, and, uh, you know, gra- grab this fucking asshole by his hamstring and fillet it open. But you know, the guy was somebody that just sexually assaulted a fucking right. minor and, and, you know, or, or a guy it's, that killed a police officer and ran, you know, so it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, to me, like that's the most rewarding part of what it I is. Do. It is one of those things where I am thrilled. I'm thrilled that I was able to make a difference in yeah. that case. Yeah. And, and that, that is, you know, that's that's why, again, a lot of these young instructors that are coming to the market, I'm like, you, you better you better have your mind right. Yeah. You better know why you're in this. Mm-hmm. Because the moment that you come to realize maybe you didn't do the best job and maybe as a result that person, I mean, there's so many variables. It's hard to put that on any one person's shoulders, yeah. but you have to at least consider that. Yeah. You no, know, you have to be willing to go the extra mile and do it right. Yeah. So... No, absolutely. Um, I know there's a lot of your government contracting uh, stuff that you can't really talk about, but if we can just synopsize it quick. So from what year to what year did you, and how many deployments, like what can you do? Well, I, I, uh, I did a, a handful of those and oh, gosh, when did I first kick off? I mean, I was very, I, I was very lucky because I was a plank owner in a lot of that. Um, and the way that I describe it is, the fucking wild west yeah and i tell people like guys that would i mean but this is back in the day when you were making some ridiculous coin yeah like 1500 a day and it's crazy yeah. and guys were like their eyes would light up like oh my god i could do that and i'm like listen before you you need to know some things there's a reason they're paying you that much <laughs> <laughs> you need to know some things you know first and yeah. foremost you are on your own yeah there's no qrf there's no other assets that are out there i mean back in that time period we were it yeah. And 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 you you know you didn't you just had to be smart about what you did yeah. and you had to, you had to have good instincts about where you were at because yeah. it was crazy so it was the wild west but it was also I'm grateful for that experience because dude anytime you can be a plank owner in something it's yeah. it's got both good and bad yeah. you know oversight was minimal in those days and obviously the longer we stayed involved the more oversight became an issue and then like you were saying you know eventually rules of engagement become i i guess the best way to put it for me is they become deadly to yeah. our needs yeah. you know so i i'm not a big fan of that so I, I walked away from that after a while because the other problem that i was having was guys that were guys that i was deploying with you know it's like we had this saying i can't remember exactly how it goes but it, it epitomized it epitomized the 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 type of people that were getting involved in, in it at that point, soft bodies and hard looks, mm-hmm. you know, like these guys aren't real trigger pullers, yeah. but they're chasing that almighty dollar. Mm-hmm. And they, they feel like, Hey, you know what? I can do six months and make some really big coin and great. It's awesome. You know, yeah. but dude, I mean, you get in that element and that's not the reason to be there. That is yeah. not the reason to be there. And uh, I mean, I, I will admit that I was there because I mean, there were some fucking, legitimate pipe hitters involved in the yeah. first kind of first first things and you know in some cases i hate to say it but it's like you know when they made me the offer i you know fucking snap to attention salute yeah. and say yes <laughs> you know <laughs> so yeah. um i was happy to be involved in that but as things started to change and i had a i had a conversation with another great frogman about this and we were talking about how we were looking behind us more than we were looking in front of us yeah. and that at that point it's time to really kind of reconsider yeah. what you're doing yeah so what span of years were you doing that uh, i i want to think I, I probably like from 07 to 09 yeah somewhere's in that neighborhood yeah yeah 
Yeah, it's a it's a meaty time to be there. Oh my sure. god! Yeah. yeah. Yep. In terms of the, were, did you ever do any instruction with any of the groups that you worked with because of the nature of your work uh, with Trident Concepts uh, in terms of instructing shooting and stuff like that, or did you, or were you just, downrange? Yeah, or were you just there? Well, well, the irony I tell people is like, yeah, I mean, when we were there, there was a lot of guys that were not ready to be there, yeah, but they had to be there, mm-hmm. and I made an observation at one of the meetings, like, hey. And these guys, I mean, somebody fucking suited them up in a meat suit and dropped them in a fucking, <laughs> fucking pool filled with sharks yeah. that have been starved for like months. You know, I mean, th- th- these guys are, they're in, they're, you know, they, they're here, but they and should probably have some training. They should probably get some, <laughs> it's like, great suggestion. Take it for action. <laughs> yeah. so, You're going to bet you better have a solution. Sounds like you got one. Get to work. Oh, yeah. I learned that one, too. But um, so what we ended up doing was every Friday was our range day. We'd always go to the range, and, and it was an Indian country. So you fought your way in, you fought your way out. And so we would take <laughs> <God> these. <damn. laughs> you rolled heavy because you yeah. just, I mean, it yeah. was like that. I mean, yeah. that's, and, and we didn't have, I mean, dude, we didn't have hard skin vehicles. Yeah. I mean, it was like. It'll make you appreciate just being able to drive to a range and <sighs> not have to fight your way there. Right? Fuck, man. Yeah. I I mean, the, the, and these these were and range was really not the right term. It was more of a hillside, just yeah. you know, that was safe to shoot into. And m- most of the time, we were just trying to jo- jockey between minefields and what was not mine, kind of thing. But yeah. um, so we started taking them out. We started training them up, and that fell largely on my shoulders. Even during the pre-deployment workup, that fell largely largely on my shoulders. I, I would I would go out there, and guys would be like, "Hey, take them out." teach them how to do this and be like, Roger that. Yeah. I mean, cause the guys that were involved, the head shed there knew who I was and knew my skill, knew what I was doing. So it became kind of like a collateral duty for me. Yeah. Took a lot of those guys out there and worked with them, got them, you know, at least competent. And the other thing too, they didn't have gear. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have, they didn't even fucking have body armor at times. Yeah. So we had to loan them what we could or help them where we could. And I mean, it, that, that kind of was like, honestly, that, at that time, I was working for another group. I didn't have my own company, but I was doing I was doing instruction. And so, like I would say, like some of those early things that I did really were, like I need to be doing this on my own. Yeah. I should be, you know, I should be, you know, instead of having somebody else get paid for this, I should get paid for it, kind of thing. So, like that was what kind of got me thinking about a lot of the stuff that I was doing, but. It was good experience. I mean, some of these guys, I felt, I felt bad that they were where yeah. they were at. You know, they were, they were very good at what they did. Yeah. They were soft skill guys. Yeah. And we needed that. On, we, we didn't have those organic skills. Mm-hmm. You know, we, did not, we weren't able to do forensic analysis of some of the targets that we were hitting. So yeah. we were losing so much information as a result. So, yeah. you know, we didn't have that organically. So we had to farm it out. You mean hiding the happy sock doesn't count as forensic? <laughs> uh. I don't, so. <laughs> I don't think Strangely so. Strangely enough, no, it doesn't. No. All right, so uh, you wrapped that up in 09, and so from then until present day, you've been pretty yeah, much rocking I, and rolling. Just I, I, um, I turned down like there was a there was a couple of offers that came my way, and I was like, you know, I just got to focus on on Trident right now, and really because there came a point when I was actually losing money. Yeah, when I started deploying, and you know, Tricon was doing good and getting. I, you know, the more time I was away, the less money I could make. Yeah. So 
I came to those crossroads about the same time that I wasn't happy with some of the people that I was having to work with and just kind of like made the call that, yeah, you know, I think I've, I think I've accomplished, I, I feel like I've accomplished some things here. I can look at, I can look myself in the mirror and say, I feel like I did good things, yeah. made some great friends, friends that I'm still tight with right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I moved on and I focused pretty much exclusively on Tricon at that point. Yeah. What is, is that, would you say, you know, to kind of summarize what drives you now then is, is that the education piece? Of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm involved with the NRA. Um, I, I feel like our greatest, our greatest attribute to the American people is to educate them yeah. and to give them the information and let them make their minds up and rather than be force fed an yeah. agenda or yeah. myth and conjecture and straight up fucking lies in some cases. Yeah. So I, I want to be a part of that. And the best voice in this case is the NRA. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm very proud to be involved with them. Uh, I'm on the education and training committee and you know i feel like we are we are going to be doing a lot of good things i'm yeah. very excited about that yeah very excited no, I, I agree i think it uh, it all makes a lot of sense and it's a good good segue into <laughs> into the last portion of uh, some some political questions and oh, things sure. of that nature but sure, sure. Um, one thing that i am curious with your you know with your vast experience of, of training a lot of civilians in in concealed weapons mm-hmm. both tactics and and uh, techniques and things of that nature what if you could kind of reduce it down to one or two things that you wish every run-of-the-mill standard fucking gun owner knew or did, like like what? Oh man, that they don't. So, I think I think the big thing there, and this is more complicated response, is knowing what you don't know, mm-hmm. because a lot of people think they can just go to a license to carry class, get their license. And then just throw the gun on, and they they're they're good. Yeah, I think um, that's that's one way of accomplishing that. And then OJT, which is how I I mean I I got to be honest for a lot of concealed carry stuff, it was OJT for me. Back in the early early days of my uh, my Navy career on the East Coast, it was all OJT. So I can sympathize with that, but uh, I also feel like. It's, it's an injustice in some cases. Like, I feel like if you're going to take the responsibility, like, I fully support, endorse the, the Second Amendment. I'm not saying people shouldn't carry guns. What I'm, sharing, what I'm saying is that I hope that they will become more serious about competency in carrying a gun. Yeah. You know, it's like anything else. The, there's, there's, some, there's some, you know, you, you, know you, hold, you grab the tiger by the tail, you better be ready to get bit by it. You know, yeah. it's one of those things. Or you better be goddamn fast. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so my, my hope is that more people come to realize what they, what they don't know. Yeah. And in the process, then they start, then I believe what happens at that point is when, I think the average gun owner is smart enough to realize that when they recognize they don't know something, they're going to probably seek out some sort of, yeah. they're going to research and figure it out. You know, one of the best things that we do right now is we do what's called a shooter skills assessment and you come in and you shoot a a course of fire that has been documented now for like almost 12 years a dozen years so you can shoot that and i can look at your score and i can tell you where you rank and i can i can tell you where you should go like this is you know yeah you might think you need to be over here but really you're over here your your skill is over here your mind might be over here 
but this is where your skill is. And, and that brings up, you know, the importance behind standards. Yeah. You know, we're the only organization that has these standards that are non-negotiable. Yeah. You know, we, we don't bend them for anybody. They're just, they are there. They're the standards. And, and that's intimidating for a lot of people because the industry has been Pencil more about, whipped. yeah, more about stroking egos than about actually setting standards and, and, yeah. and keeping them. Yeah. And it's funny because I don't know any different. I don't, I don't know how to do this. It's not because I think that that's cool. It's because that's the only way I know how to do this. Yeah. I don't know how to do it any other way. Yeah. And I think, you know, for anybody listening out there that is a concealed weapons holder and, uh, and maybe doesn't uh, spend as much time as, as they probably should with, um, you know, with sustainment training is that, you know, it's a perishable skill just like anything else. You know, I mean, yeah, it, it's yeah. to me the the analogy or the, or the example you reference of, you know, people go through the course and, and they get a concealed weapons permit. And then it's like they keep a female keeps it in her purse or a guy keeps it in his glove box or whatever. And that's it. You yeah. know, it's it's like. It, it, I mean, it's like going to the gym and going through like a, a personal trainer certification and then never working out again, like, and then expecting to be able to, you know, go do a fucking triathlon like when, when you need it, to, you know, and it, it is, there's a lot of similarities there. And, you know, the thing that too, that, that, that bothers me is that I feel like, like, again, n- knowing what you don't know is, is incredibly valuable. Yeah. Like, I mean, that, that's it right there. You know, if you, if you can realize that you don't know. And and I'm the first one to admit it. I don't know everything there is to know about shooting guns, and more importantly, teaching other people how to shoot guns. But I continue to improve my game on that front, both yeah. the shooting front and the teaching front. So my point is that if I do that at my level, at my current lot in life, then you, as a, a newer or beginner student, should probably pay heed to that. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, speaking of the Second Amendment, yes. um, you know, obviously, school shootings seem to be a hotbed topic uh, yeah. for obvious reasons. Since I've had a couple of guests on here that we've uh, dove down the rabbit hole, if you will. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I'm curious to to get your take on uh, just you know, kind of across the board, broad spectrum. Like, what's your take on uh, on the fix? Well, I mean, the first thing, I mean. You have to understand, like, go back to when we were growing up. Like, when I grew up, I can still remember trucks in the parking lot that had window racks with rifles in them on school property. And those rifles never managed to find their way into school shootings, right? It's it's, It's not about the gun. That's the first thing that we have to recognize. It has nothing to do with that access the guns, the lethality, any of that. That's not the issue. The issue is the person. And it's been that way, whether it's a school shooting or a mass public shooting or any other type of homicide or attempted homicide, it's always the person, right? So that's, that's number one. Stop, stop with this crazy, you know, it's about the guns. It's not about them. And if, you, if that's your sole argument, you know, my, my gut is to just consider you an idiot. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Yeah. Right? 
but then the other half of this is like, well, maybe they just don't know. And so maybe I should try to help them understand this. So in that process, um, we, we cannot, and this is what, what is hard for people to hear, we cannot harden our schools to the point where a shooting, we can stop a shooting. Uh, one of the jobs that I did after I left the Navy was travel the world and visit our embassy ambassador residence and do uh, facility assessment and vulnerability assessments. And then I would provide my findings to, you know, the RSO there and they would do whatever they needed to do. When I first started doing that, dude, I went at it like full bore. I'd be like, I, I'd, I'd, come, I'd come at them with like this litany of things. A and, $3 million yeah, option. Well, that, that, <laughs> that was, Jesus, that's like for just putting up a fence. That had nothing to do with any of the other stuff like the blast protection. So the bottom line is that that costs money. Yeah. And I had an RSO sit there, and, and he, I remember him. He sat there, and he's like, wow, these are all great, but you know what? We're never going to get the money for these. Yeah. I need you to take this list and tell me what is the absolute minimum that I need. I, I can't have all of this. You need to tell me what is the absolutely minimum. Yeah. And he goes, and, and this is what he told me. He's like, you need to tell me what is the minimum that I need to be less appealing than another embassy. I need the bad guys to look at us and say, oh, that's a little bit too tough. We need to go over here where it's a little easier. And it was, that was another watershed moment for me because, you know, that, that opened my eyes to money and how money plays into a lot of this. And so while nobody wants to be the person that says, no, we're not going to put them up because they cost a lot of money and then be saddled with the fact, oh shit, we didn't put them up and people died. Unfortunately, that's kind of what happens. So in the school setting, we can't harden schools to prevent shootings it's just not cost effective uh, i hate to bring you know do the math you know math is a wonderful thing and when you realize that like in the city of austin i think we have 30 schools to up armor those 30 schools to the point where force protection measures are in place that could prevent one of these shootings i mean that's a huge burden to the taxpayers and now, now then of course we're going to get thrown well it's worth it for the kids Okay, I, I, I'm not doubting that. I'm not disputing that. But where's this money going to come from? And, and then, you know, what, if we're willing to go down this road, why aren't we willing to look at other options? Why aren't we talking about other options? Why aren't we talking about health care? Why aren't we talking about mental health for a lot of our children as well as adults? I mean, you want to come at me with these, these, these outrageous funded projects, but yet you don't want to talk to me about mental health or mental stability. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that our schools have become a, a, you know, a, a breeding ground for this type of mentality, for a politically correct mentality where they don't want to address those issues. They don't want to address bad things. Yeah. You know, I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. You know, I have two kids that uh, are in, well, one is just finished, but the other one is, is in the school system right now, you know, as good as they want to be, there's still this underlying theme of political correctness about not, not wanting to upset somebody. Yeah. Not wanting to make the right choice because it might hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah. And, and that right there is going to not just hurt somebody's feelings, but hurt somebody physically. Yeah. Somebody's going to get hurt because of that. Because we don't want to, I mean, look at the situations down in Florida. Nobody wanted to do anything because yeah. you know, nobody wanted to be that person. Um, so that's a, that's an, that's a, bad thing well so if we wake up tomorrow and you're you're president gonzalez <laughs> which has a hell of a ring to it 2020 you know, no. oh no no yeah. no 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 <laughs> what uh what would you do to to address it 
I think the first thing is to bring bring awareness to the fact that gun-free zones do not stop mm. any of these things. That's the first thing we have to have. We have to have a cultural shift. We have to have that conversation where we talk about how every one of the schools that has had an incident was a gun-free school, yeah. yet we still had these events. So the first thing is changing public opinion on gun-free zones. And if we're not willing to do that, we're not, everything else is a half measure. Yeah. Everything else will be a half measure. So that's the first thing, is, is to have public discord and talk about this, and not talk about it with emotion, but talk about it with logic. Yeah. Like, show me a criminal that sees a sign and says, oh, shit, I can't do this at this place. I need to leave and go find another place. Yeah. Show me. I want to see how that particular strategy has proven successful. Yeah. Because if it hasn't proven successful, all it's doing right now is it's hindering. It's, yeah. it's limiting what we can do. Yeah. I don't think, you know, again, we talk about like competency as a concealed carrier. I think if more people were competent as a concealed carrier, I don't, I don't see why, you, you know, the, the, other, the other side of the coin was, well, you have to go through that level of security to get on a plane. And I'm like, yes, you do. You absolutely do. And is that, is that worth it? Is it, is it worth it to go through all of that? Has it really proven successful? Have, have we really seen a decrease in terrorist activities on, on our aircraft? Well, we've seen, a, we've seen a couple that were stopped. We also saw a couple that almost came through fruition. You know, I mean, my favorite is the underwear bomber and the shoe bomber. And yeah. it's like, okay, well, obviously, you know, our technology is improving and advancing, but we're always playing a game of catch up there to me one of the things with you know you talk about numbers is that and and i i hear you on the plane references that um the one stark difference is that you're going to school every day yeah know, and and a, a plane like you're paying hundreds of dollars for that one trip that you're going through there one time like that that yeah. can't be ignored yeah you know so it's not like you're not going to be you know each student isn't paying 376 fucking dollars every time they go to school that that you know that's that's part of that process and i know while TSA is a federally funded thing, like look at the amount of airports versus how many schools. I mean, there's tens of thousands yeah, of schools. Yeah, it's a significant and difference. The, the only thing I would say in, in playing devil's advocate is that, um, you know, I hear you like, is that a realistic ideology or methodology to, to be able to, to stave this financially? Currently, no. The one thing I would say, though, is I would be curious to know, like, to get a legitimate estimate on mm. on what it would cost to to just have not not even hardened facilities but just hired people that are that are there that that you know can can well, help augment that and it, it's it's that's a good question because that also has been addressed like we just need to put a police officer in every school i mean to me that's not the answer i mean to me but, you, you need one at every fucking door well you know, th th again but, and that's where you start to see how expensive this type yeah, of policy is because yeah. here's the thing those police officers are being pulled off the streets. Yeah. Okay. So they're being pulled off the streets. And, and, and so one of two things is going to happen. Let's just say that we wanted to put two or three police in each school. All right. Well, I mean, again, the greater Austin city has 30 schools. So that means that if we wanted to put two or three, that's 60 to 90 officers. Yeah. To, I mean, to me, you can't, you can't pull officers like they're, they're to me, the only big picture fix, if, if you're talking, even somewhat in the realm of, of uh, semi-legitimate in terms of, of actually executing it properly would be, and, and I mean, I, I'm all for this anyway, is, is look at the billions of dollars of foreign aid that we give out. Uh, you know, is that 
you're talking, you know, yeah. do- dozens of billions, ten- tens of billions of dollars. And, and if, if at, at a minimum, just a, a quick fix, not to get too in the weeds politically, but, uh, you know, if, if every every dime of any foreign aid that gets released and, and given has to has to go through the same bill process that any other legislative bill has to go through is that it's set up in the House, you know, passes there, goes to the Senate, passes there. And then the president, like every single fucking aid package for each country has to be delegated that same way mm-hmm. and executed that same way we'd be given a fuck of a lot less foreign aid probably oh guaranteed you know but yeah. i mean we give several billion dollars just to egypt alone which boggles my fucking mind but but to me like if you were to take all of that foreign aid and say now you you create a department of school security or something like that that's yeah. a federally funded you're, you're creating a program from scratch where you're you're recruiting officers and recruiting people that that's their job it's a federally funded like you know and they should yeah. have, like to me i i can at least see some realm of of some some legitimacy there but uh, you know obviously that's way easier said than done but I, I mean to me like the big thing is they're, they're continuing to happen you know, the, the only thing that ever happens afterwards is one side says, get rid of guns. The other side says mental health, but nothing, nothing's fucking being done. Like, what, you know, what, what do you fucking do to fix it with well, somebody with your, your skill set on? I mean, it's a twofold. Like I said, number one, you have to address it from an intellectual level. Like we have to first talk about gun-free zones. We have to be able to have that conversation and, and, and be able to acknowledge that they do not stop mm-hmm. these events. Because once we can do that, the major paradigm shift will occur yeah the other thing is like look at some countries that have had successful programs to stop school violence you know the best model to look at is israel having been to israel and and have worked in israel their model is pretty simple you know the teachers are armed i the problem with that here in america is that much of the problems that we have as far as pushback on things like gun-free zones comes from the educators, yeah, you know, they are, in my opinion, they're part of the problem in that sense, sure. their mindset. Yeah. So, like that was something that was tossed around. We'll just arm the teachers. You, we're not going to be able to do that because the, part of the part of the problem that we have is that that culture that's created by some of the yeah. political views. So, even though Israel's model is a successful model, you know, I don't think it would be successful here. And I, I would use that same argument with the Australian gun ban model. Is that, you you know, can swing the other way. Yeah, Absolutely. Like, you well, pe- successful there, but it wouldn't be it here would not for, be for here. the same reasons. Well, you know? A lot of different reasons. Number one, volume. Yeah. Volume is big. So then you look at, you, you know, we're not going to be able to arm teachers. We're not going to be able to put enough armed personnel there like law enforcement then the idea was what about veterans what about veterans coming back could they do that well that's that's a great idea and it would be awesome to see that but what is the standard that we need for them to be able to i mean just being a veteran doesn't necessarily mean that you're qualified to do that so that's another issue that we have to address so you know like the way that i look at it is I hate to say it, but it has to be something. It's like it's like the the RSO uh, with that one embassy. It's like you need to make my embassy less appealing than the other embassy. And I think schools need to take it upon themselves to make that happen. Yeah. They, I mean, there's plenty of schools that I've seen that have made it very clear to the public these schools are protected by armed personnel, armed teachers, armed administrators, armed people and whatnot. Yeah. And I, and they advertise that they put signs up around that. I I believe that's a, I believe what that accomplishes is that it, it does create 
a level of deterrence. Sure. Is it going to deter everybody? No, because, but it's going to deter some of the less plans, more spontaneous type of events. I think that, you know, people that are committing those acts probably have an understanding of the inner workings of what's happening. They probably know that Dr. Smith is the guy that probably is armed. And so they know that they don't have any classes with Dr. Smith at this time of the day. So they know they're far away from Dr. Smith. They know they're going to probably get away with it. Yeah. So you're still going to have those issues. Yeah. Well, and I, I think you know the deterrent is half of the of the component. The other half is is it it may actually mitigate it if if they decide to do it anyway. If if the deterrence isn't enough, sure, it, it very very well may stop. The it, response you know? is, yeah. and and this is what we talk about. Like one of the programs that we did that was hugely successful was called Active Hostage Rescue. And a lot of times people call these active shooter classes. Well, ours is called Active Hostage Rescue because that's how you have to look at it. You have to get involved in the problem as fast as possible and then you have to start saving as many hostages as you possibly can how do you do that there's a there's a litany of ways to do that but one of the ways is obviously what we call find fix and finish the enemy you got to find out where this guy is you got to fix him in position so as soon as you find him and fix him in position he's limited as to how much damage he can cause and then you need to finish him off yeah. aggressively just you know neutralize the threat try to minimize the, the the carnage and the damage that he can cause so that that's a philosophy that i've that i you know i believe it's like you uh, you know once once it's once that switch has been flipped then there needs to be a response that is so swift and so that that later becomes the new deterrent so while we advertise that there are armed personnel in place the next deterrent is the fact that that those armed people are willing to go to guns and bring you down and and bring you down without any remorse like you know i mean you you know, as far as I'm concerned, the fact that you view the lives of these children with so with such less that you that you have no value for these kids' lives yeah. means that I have no value for your life. Yeah, if you were showing me that. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, a couple of things that that come to mind is uh, is one like, uh, and I don't remember where I heard it, but you know, there's there's armed guards at banks guarding money, but like pe- people are okay with walking into a bank where there's a dude standing there, armed, yeah. you know, guarding money. Yeah. But they're not willing to let their kids go to a school where with somebody armed, might be armed. Yeah. 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 Like, well, and it goes to the, it goes to the stupid. it goes to the cultural um, brainwashing yeah. indoctrination of gun free zones and yeah. how 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 they work. I mean, as soon yeah. as we get rid of that, I think yeah. we could probably start to see a lot of changes. You're right. I mean, look at where I mean, there are armed guards in jewelry stores. There's yeah. armed guards in other uh, other high value targets. Yeah. We we need to just look at schools like a high value target and what can we do to help yeah. mitigate that? I mean, you know, it's there there's not, the bottom line to your original post question is that there's not a single simple solution to this. Yeah. But the first thing that we have to do as a nation is address the in the absolute abysmal failure of gun-free zones. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, to me, the the the, the most simplistic and, and primal element of of uh, you know our race as it is humans is that you know if if somebody is determined on violently attacking you, there's one way you're going to stop them. Yeah. It's not taking. You know, it's not trying to change their mentality. It's yeah. not trying to to you know yeah. take whatever they're going to beat you to death with. Like it's to it's to physically make them fucking stop it. Like I mean, at, at its root level, like that's it really is. what we're talking about. You know, but that's number one. Number two is, you know, j- the porcupine thing. Huh. Like, you know, is you know there are there are 
relatively inexpensive ways to, to help mitigate things. You know, you know, having a good plan in place, active shooter plans uh, yeah. for schools having, I mean, t- to me it's something as simple as there, there's a, an, a, an incredibly loud audible alarm, just like with tornadoes and fire drills, but yeah. one that's specific to active shooters that, you know, a principal hits a fucking button and, and everybody knows that's what's happening. And that's when bam, your fucking, your countermeasures go in place, whether it's, you know, jamming doors and turning lights off yeah. and, and, you know, safe rooms. I mean, whatever the fuck it is. I mean, every school is going to be different with their budgets but that's a hell of a lot cheaper than hiring six fucking armed guards you know? i agree but, you I know, mean, so to me it, it's it's a it's a alphabet soup of, of a lot of these things that all have to take place at the same and time, i think you know? one of the things that has to be addressed one of the things that people need to realize is that it's on the school you know i mean the schools like i believe if the school was committed to suing something that the public would probably support it how about this like here in texas you can relate like if if a if a singular independent school district or not even that a, a high school by itself can figure out how to raise seven million dollars for a fucking football stadium yeah, right like you you can figure it out I was like, just gonna say, you yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you could probably find a solution i agree absolutely yeah, but anyway uh, we could talk about that all day the last, <laughs> last we, we already have but um the last thing uh before we wrap it up here, I just want to talk about the this new kind of. I mean, it's been around for a while, but it seems to be in the news here quite a bit uh, lately with the printed 3D guns. Oh, sure. Um, that seems like a, a bit of Pandora's box uh, in terms of legislation. I mean, to me, like, I don't know how you stop it. I mean, it's like drugs or anything else. Like, you know, that that technology being what it is, like, you're not going to keep people from doing it. I mean, that seems like a fucking nightmare. Well, there's a lot of miscon- misconception, misunderstanding about it. You know, I mean, first of all, it's been illegal to print unregistered guns or manufacture unregistered guns. It's been illegal to do that forever. Yeah. It, the legislation is not addressing. I mean, the- to me, I guess it, it like now though, the technology is, is pretty fucking readily available for, you know, idiots to figure out how to do it. Like I, I would say, I would say so. I, I, I don't see that as posing a significant threat. Yeah. Honestly, we are we i mean that that's that's making a mountain out of a molehill mm-hmm. there's nothing first of all there is no documented string or pattern of those types of weapons being used in any type yeah. of event yeah so why are we worried about this we're worried oh what if well we don't have to worry about the what if we need to be worrying about what is yeah what it, is happening right now yeah i mean to me like it's it's i'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because to me like when i when i see this it seems to have flared up here pretty fucking recently and pretty significantly well, but to me it, it seems like uh, like media hype that uh, it is you know that's just trying it's, to get a rise out of people but to me it's no different than drugs you know, or, yeah. or or I would put it this way, like no matter how easy it becomes uh, or how readily available that stuff is, like it's not any harder to just go acquire one illegally, it, you know? The, the fact of the matter is the criminal element... Doesn't give a shit. Is not, yeah, is, the criminal element is not going to go down to Best Buy and buy, you know, $5,000 worth of computers than all of the other... Ex- ridiculously expensive material that they need to be able to actually print yeah. a 3d model. There will probably be some people that will do that and sell directly to the criminal element, yeah. which is already what currently happens. Yeah. People, I mean, the number one, first of all, criminals do not buy guns legally. Yeah. They're prohibited possessors. So they can't, you know, the laws that we have in place prohibit them from actually possessing or purchasing those guns. So they're prohibited possessors. So the only way that they can come by them is illegally. Nothing we do, there's no way that we can change the law to help prevent that from happening. Yeah. Not without in, infringing on everybody's rights, yeah. which is where gun control 
typically comes from. Yeah. Well, we can't stop it, so we need to stop it for everybody. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, the next thing that bothers me is that it's just like, I mean, we're not really addressing the real issue. Like, what, what, is, the, what is the issue? You know, like, and I, and I get, like, whenever I have to deal with a, an, a, an argument such as this, I, I ask, what, what are your intentions? What, what do you want? Do you want, okay, well, I mean, again, first, prove to me that this is an issue. Prove to me that this is a national crisis. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, all right, it doesn't exist. Let's, let's agree. There is no national crisis. There is no threat. So then why? What is the reason? There, the only reason that somebody can articulate is that I just don't like guns. Yeah. And, and I'm like, okay, fine. That's fair. You, but let's be honest. Let's be transparent in our discussions about why we're talking here. Because I, I'm tired of having conversations where at face value they say one thing, but then they, on, the, on the back end they say something completely different. Yeah. So let's, let's just do away with that. Let's just have honest conversations about where you stand. You don't like guns. Great. You don't like guns? Fine. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate that. Yeah, you know, but start off with that. I don't like your stupid attitude. So there, we're even, right? <laughs> that should be illegal, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, but here's 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 a harsh reality. Okay, nobody's forcing them to buy a gun. Nobody's forcing them to own a gun. Nobody's forcing them to possess a gun. Forever, mm-hmm. nobody, right? But where I have a problem is that at this point, your right to bear arms is constitutionally protected. So I don't have time nor the inclination nor the patience to have a conversation with somebody that is threatening a constitutional amendment. Yeah. Be it the first, the second, the fourth, whichever one you want, I don't have time for that. Yeah. I'm not going to waste my time. Yeah. If it, but, and that's where I'm, that's why I'm saying, come at me honestly. Mm-hmm. If you want to see the Second Amendment abolished, then say it. Yeah. Be honest. Yeah, because a lot of times it's under the guise of just trying to like, you know, the, the slippery slope yeah. of eroding rights yeah, one exactly. piece at a time. I mean, it's that. I mean, so yeah. it's like, look, I, if we want to have a national discussion about this, then you come right out, you stand on that podium, and you say, I want to abolish the Second Amendment. Yeah. We'll have a national discussion. Yeah. And we'll see how far that goes. Mm-hmm. But we know that that's not what they want to do. They don't want to do that. So have the, have the common courtesy to be honest about what your intentions are. I'll be honest with what my intentions are. Yeah. My intentions are to uphold you know, the law of the land yeah. and to defend the constitution. Simple as that. Just because I left the Navy doesn't believe that I, that, that, that belief has fallen to the wayside. Absolutely not. Yeah. If anything, it's even stronger. I yeah. appreciate it more. I understand it more. Yeah. So if you want to, if you want to have a discussion, be honest, come out. And yeah. when we do have those discussions and when people actually come out and say, yeah, I want to abolish the second amendment. Okay. Why? Tell me why. Let me understand your viewpoint. Cause that's the other thing. It's like, okay, don't just say you're an idiot for doing that. On the other side of the table, we have to have, I, I need to understand your why. I mm. want to know what your why is. Yeah. I'm not saying that I would agree with it, but maybe mm. there's a point of view that I hadn't thought about. Yeah. And what I tell people, if you're going to get into any of these discussions, the first thing you have to do is you have to talk to that person and say, hey, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to have this discussion with you, and I'm going to tell you straight up that I might be wrong. Yeah. My viewpoints can be wrong, and I'm willing to accept that, but I need you to have that same viewpoint. If you're not willing to accept that your viewpoint could be wrong and that maybe my, uh, maybe in my discussion with you, I educate you to the point where you're like, holy shit, I never thought of it that way, yeah. 
then we have no basis for conversation. Yeah, you, right. you're, you're already coming to this conversation with a closed mind. You don't have any interest. You just want, all you want to do is you want to force your opinion on me. Yeah. And when it's like the, it's the old saying, you can either persuade me or you can force me. Yeah. You, you, you know, you're not going to force me. Yeah. Guaranteed that your best bet is to persuade me. Mm-hmm. Come to me with good information, something that makes sense, something that is articulate and, you know, that can be, discussed in a rational manner to me the the other component to that that i think uh is both imperative and and usually lost is removing emotion from. oh well that's the other thing yeah i mean that's the thing that i'm talking about you you if you want to persuade me that persuasion has nothing to do with emotion. Yeah. That persuade. I, I I will promise you right now that you know, the only way you're going to persuade me is through logic. Yeah. Be passionate. Don't be emotional. Exactly. About it. Yeah. I'm fine if you want to bring that passion to the table. I'm going to bring my passions for why I believe in it, yeah. and I expect you to do the same thing. Yeah. But if you're just going to come at me with emotion and nothing to back it up, I got no time for that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, but that's bush league. Yeah. If that's your best, which is all that we've seen, if that's your best, yeah. no wonder you're pissed off because you, you've <laughs> I'd got be nothing. pissed if I was that lame yeah. too. You've got nothing yeah. to really back it up with. So, yeah. yeah. No, and I'm, I'm a stickler for this. I'm like, you know, you want to come at me with stuff? Great. Come at me, but you better be ready yeah. because I'm going to call you on everything. Yeah. State your source. Yeah. Where did you get this? Well, How do you believe? Yeah, I mean, to me, the, I mentioned this. I think when uh, when I had Andy Stump on was <laughs> was uh, you know, and I've I've mentioned it a number of times. But to me, like you usually see people that are the the super super anti gun crowd is almost always the least educated in them as well. You know, and, and to me, like what I don't understand is when when we start having national conversations and try to get anywhere with it. Why does the group of people that that has the most knowledge base, the most experience level, and and the, and the most non-biased viewpoint in terms of of what they actually do, mm-hmm. never gets really brought into the loop? You know, i.e., professional gunfighters. Yeah, like you know, you, you wouldn't like you wouldn't trust somebody that's never even been to the fucking doctor. To be on a on a on a board or a panel that's discussing fucking brain surgery and, and directing policy for it, oh, so like why why are some of these fucking politicians that don't even know which fucking end is which, you know, and, and some of the terminology that they use that guys like us watch and do exactly that, you like sque- squeeze your fucking nose, like oh my fucking god, where do they find these people? And and they are the fucking assholes that are dictating policy. Like, how, how stupid is that? Like, what other aspect of our society do you let people that know nothing about something direct and, and legislate policy? Nothing. It, it's, it's scary. And you're right about that. That's, that's a big problem that I have. I, I do. Um, you know, like, I do feel that there's a lot to be gained. I try, like I said, I try to understand the other position's viewpoint. I try to understand where they're coming from because a lot of times when I can't understand where they're coming from, what I discover is how much they really don't know and, yeah. and how just taking a moment and educating them and, and saying, hey, I, I hear what you're saying, but are you aware of this? Do you know that? How do you feel if I were to tell you this? You know, and then and then have that kind of discord because a lot of times what I have found is that, like I, I did this one, I did this, had this group from Massachusetts call me up and they wanted to come out and they wanted to do some shooting. And I'm like, well, okay, well, sure, yeah, we can do that. What do you, what do you, what do you want to do? Well, we just need to learn a little bit more. And I'm like, great, that's awesome. Well, I'm happy to help you there. And they come out, and I later find out that they are part of an anti-gun organization. Oh 
And, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm like, fine, you know, because I'm going to be documenting all of this so that, you know, we'll, we'll share, you know, we'll, the paperwork lesson from the Navy. Yep. That's right. <laughs> so the, uh, you know, and, and I, I'm talking to them and they're asking me these questions and I'm like, where are you getting this information from? You know, let's stop right now. And where, cause they had, they had like a, um, not an agenda, but they had a list of questions and these are common questions that we hear a lot of times from an anti-gun person. And I was like, okay, so where are you getting this from? Who, who, what's the originator of the source? A lot of times I didn't know. And I'm like, okay, that's problem number one. If I know the originator of that source and I know that it's false and you don't even know that, I mean, geez, come on. Yeah. You, I mean, be better than that, right? And then by the end, and especially helping them to shoot, like bringing them out on the range and actually walking them through how to do it and, and managing a lot of their anxieties that they have, because a lot of times there's anxiety. Yeah. And I tell people, I'm like, there's, there's two fears as an instructor that you have to manage. Fear of the unknown, fear of not knowing, right? Women predominantly have a fear of um, the unknown. Like they're not comfortable getting into something they don't know about, which is one of the barriers that keeps a lot of women from coming into shooting. I'm happy to report that we are doing so much better at that. And, and the majority, I would say it's like a six to, there's like a, I don't know, like one to three ratio of guys to girls that came out there. So more girls than guys. And, you know, once I talked to them, once I helped them, once I gave them the, the basics and then helped them to understand a lot of this, most of them were like, okay, this is different than what I was expecting. And I'm like, well, have you actually ever even exposed yourself to this? Or is it all academic? And they're like, uh, okay, it's all academic. And then um, towards the end, as we start to manage the anxiety for the guys, which is a fear of, of uh, not, knowing. not knowing, right? They don't want to look bad. They mm. want to be like that person that doesn't know what they're doing. And I'm like, hey, you know, I mean, you're human. Th that's normal. You weren't, you, it's not like the matrix that I can just download a, a <laughs> yeah. fucking program that you can be a, a you know, badass with, you have to put effort into all of this. Yeah. So don't, don't look at that as a bad thing. Because if that's the attitude you have here, imagine what it's doing to affect the rest of your life. Imagine how that attitude is denying you growth mm -hmm. in, in other things, right? Just think about it. And the guys were like, they're muttering and stuff like that. I'm like, dude, come on. I mean, really, just think about that. So by the end of the session, which was only maybe an hour on the range, you know, but cycling them all through, um, I asked them, I asked them candidly, I'm like, Hey, listen, I want you guys to be honest. What did you think? What, what, what were your thoughts coming in here? And are, are they still, are, are you still true to that? You know, and a lot of them said they were honest towards the end and they were like, you know, blah, 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 blah. But now I'm like, and, and I was like, okay, so this is my point. This is what I'm trying to tell you. If you take the time and I appreciate you guys coming all this way. They flew all the way out here from Massachusetts to come to me and down in Austin. I mean, I mean, you guys did the right thing. You came, you sought out somebody who knew what they were talking about and you listened to them and you had a change of perspective. I mean, I'm not expecting to change your political views. I'm just expecting to change your viewpoint on this subject. And imagine if I did what, I mean, think about the other things that might be mm -hmm. out there. You know, yeah. if you were to approach the same, oops, same principle with all the other stuff, you might find that maybe some of the things that you think are actually not, that they're not really that good. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I think, uh, I mean, to me, it's it's awesome to hear that uh, you know that you have that ability to to have that level of impact on on the well, wide. Well, I didn't swath I didn't win the hearts and minds of all of them. Well, but still, I mean, yeah. you know, to me, it's it's a start. It's change for the good, and that, yeah, it's how it, it all starts. And and hats off to them for having an open right? mind. Right, exactly. Come to and I told them the same yeah. thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
that leads me into i'd love for you to kind of synopsize what you guys offer like the, the if you can kind of go down the the gamut of the courses that you provide and when what, what would you say you do here well right now our most popular program that we do is conceal carry um, we teach people like again getting your license is one thing but learning how to actually carry concealed is a completely different story uh, that is what we currently are excelling at we um, we've We've reached that point of national recognition as far as concealed carry. You know, again, like I say, we do a lot of work with the NRA on those subjects. We do a lot of. Uh, I travel throughout the country still, and I, tra- you know, the most pr- most requested program that we do has to do with concealed carry. Um, so, what we do is we we teach people the importance behind firearm usage, and then we teach people how to use a firearm in a safe manner, and then we teach people how to carry that firearm for concealed purposes for self defense. And um, I mean, that's just one of many things. But like I said, right now for like since 2015, dude, that has been it. I mean, 2014 was a big year for us in the sense that all of a sudden I saw a shift in interest. That that interest occurred in 2014 and 2015 schedule was literally, I mean, out of like the 25, 24 classes I do a year, I think 14 of them were all concealed carry, which is a huge thing. I mean, we still offer pistol marksmanship, rifle marksmanship. We still do all the tactics. So, you know, we still do all the vehicle assaults, all, you know, all the CQB stuff, but I'm putting more of my time and energy into the concealed carry area yeah. just because I feel, uh, again, as we discussed, I feel like that's, that's where I can do the most good. Yeah. The educating the public. Yeah. And, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, anything else you want to, uh, you know, offer in terms of what you guys provide or, or talk about or plug? Um, well, I mean, we do a lot. That's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. I mean, folks can certainly reach out to me. I mean, they can follow me on social media. Um, you know, there's my, where, where can everybody find you both uh, website, social media, if they want, if they want to come sure. to one of your courses or, or so, have you out to. Absolutely. If you, um, we are travel classes. If you're interested, you can go to tridentconcepts.com. You'll learn all about my travel classes. You know, we travel all over the country. Uh, we've only got like four classes the rest of this year, maybe five. And then um, if you're here in Texas, and particularly in the central Texas area, you come down to the uh, range at Austin. That's uh, therangeaustin.com. Social media, you know, you can go to Facebook. Just Google me. Uh, My Instagram account, I think, is JL underscore Gonzalez. I think I'm Jeff L. Gonzalez on Twitter. And, uh, you know, we do we do a lot of social media engagement. We don't do the best of it. I mean, playing a game of catch up. But uh, I do try to get more actively involved in the social media stuff. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. All right. Well, good shit. Um, well, again, I you know I appreciate you coming up here. Yeah, uh, it's been a good talk as For always, sure. and uh, I, you know it's, it's always fucking good to catch up. Uh, <laughs> That's no uh, doubt. Uh, I appreciate that too. Over the mic, and uh, I know you got a busy schedule, so I appreciate the hell out of you coming yeah. here. One last thing for uh, for everybody. Anything, anything you want to add? I can't think of anything. Yeah. I mean, we can go another few hours. I know. Trust me. I know. I know. Trust me. I was looking at the watch and I'm like, oh shit, I still got that drive ahead of me. Yeah. Amen. Last but certainly not least, I just want to thank the listeners. As always, you guys are the reason we do what we do uh, and and have the ability to to sit here and run our mouths the way that we do. So thank you guys for listening, for supporting. If you uh, have not subscribed and given a rating on uh, on the iTunes app, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you no shit. You just go ahead and choke yourself. Uh, (laughs) Go to the Mic Drop podcast and subscribe and like it and all that other shit that uh, that's important. And uh, anyway, in keeping in tradition with every other episode, I just uh, again want to say you guys uh, are the best. Appreciate everybody for listening, your support. And uh, once again, this is Mic Drop. Mm-hmm. 
Your attention is precious. Hold in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the benefit of blue. Learn more at benefitofbluesc.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.